This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Evan. We're going to talk about Villains of All Nations, Atlantic Pirates in the Golden Age. It says it came out 2004. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, sounds right. I guess the audiobook was it's, 2019 uh, or something like that. Yeah. The audiobook reader also read uh, the, the book he wrote with Peter Lambeau, one of my favorites, The Many-Headed Hydra. Commoners, all the time. Hidden History in the Revolutionary Atlantic. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Sailor Slaves it's, Commoners. Uh, hmm. It's longer, so we chose to do this one. I'm I'm um, happy to do the other ones. Uh, this seems pretty good. Um, although I think yeah, there's going to be a lot is, of overlap. Well, there's one chapter uh, uh, about the hierarchy, like power at sea, which mm-hmm. makes a similar argument that this book makes overall of kind of dueling powers, like the bottom up system. There's like a hierarchy from below and a hierarchy from above. Um, you know, hierarchy just being like the rule of the sea, right? Mm-hmm. With the, Authority of the Sea, and and that's that's chapter was written. I'm pretty sure by Redeker. Um but there's chapters about like you know abolitionism and protests and the Putney debates and how the ideas of the Putney debates spread throughout the Atlantic. And of course, sailors are the threads, and I, I think mm-hmm. this book does a good job of showing those threads. So it's it's not. Like of his other compared to his other work, it's not the best scholarship. I don't think. I think he is trying to present a, a, a concise argument, right? And the, the evidence you can see him struggling with the evidence quite a lot in the book, where he's like, oh, "We really don't know." Well, got, he, he outlines he outlines where, where his sources yeah. are are weak, but I don't think he's struggling yeah. with the evidence. It's pretty overwhelmingly strong, especially well, when I, he I think, tells you where the sources are weak. I mean, I think he's most of his conclusions are probably correct, but I don't think they flow always convincingly from the evidence presented. And a longer book could have done that, perhaps. Mm. But I think it's fine. I mean, I think he's right on almost everything. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes when I when I look at it more critically as a historian, I'm like, this, you know, this is like he he made a, a claim in the introduction that like how women went into piracy and discoursed on gender and. Black people went to piracy and discoursed on race, and that's discoursed. probably true as well. I don't know. Discoursed? Uh, like, they, they interpreted it. I don't know if the word discourse, but it, like that, it gave them a, a means for them to to discuss those things, right? The, yeah. You know, they were kind of, he was kind of throwing in the trifecta, the class, race, gender uh, thing that's common in social history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just he doesn't like systematically make those arguments. You, you would in a longer book. But mm. I, I think this book, the argument this book does make very convincingly is about like the dual terrors. I, I think that's really strong. Um, and the, I think, yeah, that's the heart of it. And I think that's really convincing for me. Let's, the fact that you do have a, it's not, and it's so important in 2004 when this was written to talk about terrorism, not just as yeah the bottom up thing, but it's also the top down thing. Let's, let's and, talk you about know, like you got the Noam Chomsky arguments about, uh, the blowback kind of stuff and and state terrorism and certainly he's familiar with that scholarship and the, those kinds of writings. So I, I think in the time it was written, I think to 
you know, there is a kind of a war on terror kind of relationship here. That's not really yeah. explicitly talked about, but it's, it's let's not let's talk story, about so. something that's not mentioned in the book that I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, one is well, they do talk about the Jolly Roger quite a bit, or he does talk about the yeah. Jolly Roger, and uh, I'm a big fan of this. Um, I, I actually don't know how to make the little icon on Twitter, but uh, I, I see it sometimes, and I'm like, oh, there it is. Mm. Uh, anyways, um, uh, the color. The black yeah. flag, uh, the black standard, this is um, really interesting for a couple of reasons. One, especially even talking about 2004 <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. or 2014 or 2022, um, uh, that's the ISIS flag. It's a black standard, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things that's interesting is, you know, this is, it covers what, 1716 to 1726, is that right? This This book? I think it's 1716. Yeah, it's about that last phase, right? Right. Of, of the golden age. Piracy. Right. So, um, piracy continues, uh, especially in the Barbary Coast. Um, you know, we've got modern day, uh, piracy, uh, for books and stuff like that, but actually physical sea piracy done like in, what's that movie? Captain Phillips is, uh, an example of, mm-hmm. of, um, piracy off the uh, Red Sea. Um, there and you know that's the excuse for Djibouti to be filled with uh, uh, corporations of all nations, um, uh, yeah. military bases from China and uh, United States and I think Italy and France or something, you know some ridiculous. Five, there's five foreign nations with military bases in Djibouti to fight uh, and to keep these straits free, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the black flag uh possibly comes not just from the contrast of black against white bones right but also mm-hmm. from the idea of these are uh these are not satanists exactly but they're people who do not conform to uh christianity's authority right so yeah. uh it's uh, it's kind of cool in that respect but also like the words jolly roger um, it didn't occur to me to think, you know, about what, why Roger is so jolly. <laughs> but Roger, it, I think it is mentioned in the book, or at least touched on, it is the second meaning of Roger, as in, uh, fucking, right? Yeah. And the jolly, uh, goes with the merry, making merry, which is mentioned a few times in the book about how this is what the pirates want to do. They want to party, right? They want to have fun. They want to dance, they want to sing, they want to get drunk. All of those things, like Merry Christmas, dancing, singing, getting drunk, right? Making merry mm-hmm. is literally like getting everybody some alcohol and making them feel like a warm glow. Um, so the Jolly Roger is like, it essentially means like happy fuck <laughs> or happy yeah. fucking, Um and also when you see the skull and crossbones, it's, or the skull and the uh, skeleton or saber or whatever it is, it's death is coming. Um, and so it's like a memento mori for the whole ship, right? Mm-hmm. Which is not, I don't think mentioned, but except that it's kind of their lifestyle, right? Is that they know that they don't have long. Um, and in, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting to think about like as a slave rebellion, right? That's a, a kind of an extended rebellion where you get to 
fly away from from danger and fly to uh, to party houses, <laughs> take their stuff, and then go party with it. Um, and so uh, th- there is like a an intellectual uh, history to this that you know he he makes a very uh, detailed case about how liberty and uh, uh, the idea of, of the French Revolution coming out of this. Uh, and obviously the American Revolution. And, um, I just, uh, you, you talked about, um, briefly, uh, black sales. And I'd oh, seen. Oh, I sent you the thing. Yeah. I, I would. I'd I seen it. Because it, it used to be on the Netflix in, in Taiwan. And I, I went back and it's all gone now. It's not on the Taiwan. Uh, I, I, anymore, but I had pirated but I found it, it years somewhere ago. else. Yeah. And I, and the very first, line there's like an opening where it's just setting the context 1715 like like old age yeah. of piracy and and that that is it uh, the bahamas right mm-hmm. where that one is based yeah well it's a base in piracy and then it says and then they declared war on the whole world that's right which of course is the argument of that and then so many of these characters in um this in that show charles are vane real people that are mentioned yeah. charles vane mm-hmm. and uh racker racker and bonnie Rack, was she Rackman, one of and Bonnie's, mm-hmm. or is it Mary Reed? Arthur, I think it's Mary Reed. Mary Reed, yeah. Yeah, Hornigold. He was like the old retired pirate mm-hmm. at one point. Um, and Blackbeard, of course. Um, <laughs> Blackbeard is, <laughs> he's mentioned and he shows up, but he's not what you think. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he's, you know, I'd have to think how much... I think I didn't get through the fourth season of that. I, 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 I only that. watched a uh, first or second. I don't know. But I, I think this show, my memory of this show is that, you know, as a prequel to Treasure Island, mm. it's just fun. Because, yeah. I mean, a point Redeker makes, I think, in this book is like, pirates don't bury their treasure. Right. They, they, they're only living for a couple of years. That's they're, right. They're spending it. And they have, they're, they're redistributing it amongst their crews. It's mm-hmm. not, the idea that a pirate captain could bury a bunch of treasure on an island somewhere is preposterous based on the the culture that they're setting up. Mm-hmm. And it's described in this book, right? It's an egalitarian society. It's the shares you're going to the crew. I was thinking... But, so that stuff, I, I mean, I understand why to do that, because people know Treasure Island. Right. But it works. It's actually like a adaptation of this book in a lot of ways. Indeed. The themes of of democracy themes of you got the characters, you got uh, some of the gender politics discussed here. And then, especially in, I think it's a third end of the fourth season, they deal with the Maroons and the runaway slaves Mm. uh, communities and all that is a major theme of black slaves as well, which comes off in this book quite a lot. In fact, one, I think the best arguments to maybe think about with this book is like in that chapter on revenge, he actually talks about how they, purposely went after the slave trade because they despised it and yeah the ships were good and they had provisions but and they had a lot of these slaves were willing to join their crew so it was a it was good to go after they had gold and but the ships are they, good for they, turning into hated, pirate ships but the big part of it was they hated slavery and they were declaring war on it and they actually slowed down the slave trade for a decade or so which and that's what that's what actually caused it's historically their yeah. persecution the too crackdown. right yeah yeah once they started messing with the yeah it's the, it's uh, if you're really messing with the actual 
um, uh, actual hurting them where it hurts, then they get interested in cracking down on you. Otherwise, you know, yeah. it's not so. So what's interesting to me is, is seeing the modern day, uh, uh, connections to the propaganda against pirates. It's quite, you know, detailed in here about how, you know, you have to teach your kids and, you know, uh, Cotton Mather, who I, I was never a major fan of, <laughs> you know, he's like, uh, we gotta, we gotta crack down because morally, um, this is unacceptable and they're getting too popular and they're, you know, we gotta not send our children to sea because they'll be turned into pirates because sea conditions are so bad, right? Um, yeah. so there's a, a kind of parallel thing that happens with us today. Uh, it, you know, th there were, there, there's a little bit of, there was, and there still is, I guess, some pressure against, um, regular internet piracy, right? Um, countries crack down on it. Uh, United States cracks, you know, um, Kim.com's, uh, got raided, uh, in, uh, New Zealand and he's still fighting extradition. Um, so there, there is like a, a negative campaign against piracy, but it's, it's much waned of late. Um, but actually, go for it. Yeah. But I think one reason it's waned yes. is it, it has been so much piracy has been domesticated yes. in a way. Like I, there's a little documentary I used to, show my students when talking about intellectual property it's it's like a new york times documentary mm -hmm. but it it kind of gets into history pretty well because i remember this but young people today don't know this history because they live through it is the napster stuff sure so and just how bad music was becoming in the 90s how albums had one hit song and the rest was trash mm -hmm. and but they could do that because they had to the only way to get the music was at the CD store. Right. So you could charge 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. So, and, and then Napster comes along and people are like, oh, I don't have to, I can just get the one song. Mm -hmm. I don't have to listen to the other garbage. And then it gets into how this becomes tamed. Like at first they crack down, right? There's the mm -hmm. propaganda. You wouldn't steal this, but right. there's those commercials, right? <laughs> you wouldn't steal a bike, but, <laughs> but you know, you're stealing from music. Yeah. Um, all that propaganda and the crackdowns, right? People go went to, you know, got arrested and fined and, and all that. But now they just put it on YouTube. Eventually they just put the music on YouTube. Yes. Uh, it's and, because. And now you listen for, you listen for free, but you end up paying your time, right? You, right. you have to watch an ad. Spotify ads. Or whatever. And, yeah. Yeah. Or anything like that. And, now we have streaming for movies. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, it's like, oh, I don't really need to pirate all this stuff because I got Netflix. But now that there's 50 different streaming services, you know, I guess it'll come back. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a wave that won't go away. Um, but uh, I was thinking, like, there's, there's um, these. <laughs> so right now, the current one is the Azov Battalion. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, you can find articles in the New York Times saying, you know, you, you in 2009 or something, <laughs> it says, Ukraine has a Nazi problem. <laughs> and now it's like, well, not so much. We, we're okay with that. And it's okay that, you know, because they're on our team. But it's the, it's the propaganda against pirates in the book 
that is needed because they are romantic figures. And I was, I was impressed and I, I was like, Oh, that's really yeah. interesting to make the connection I've always made, um, with Robin Hood. Robin Hood is a folk hero. Yeah. He is bottom up. He's not top down. He is not, uh, he, he and his merry men, right, are there to adventure together and have fun and make hay while the sun shines. And the authority figures are figures of, uh, to be made fun of, right? Uh, yeah. Even the church. That last chapter on the gallows humor. It's so yes. Good. Yes. The church is something you can't trust. Uh, so in, in Ivanhoe, uh, he, they, you know, they say it's King John. Everything bad is King John. Oh, if only King Richard returned, then everything would be fine. And the Merry Men and Robin Hood are there to help, uh, bring back mm-hmm. the rightful king. Uh, but in reality, they are free men hunting in the king's woods because they are outlaws. They are wolf's heads. They are not. Uh, loyal subjects and that, mm-hmm. that sort of slight transition to making the, these outlaws our outlaws is something we do all the time in politics, right? Those, yeah. uh, I, so like the fact that Al Qaeda is on our, t- uh, on our team in, in uh, Syria, these are words that, uh, U- U.S. uh, policymakers have used. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're funding Al Qaeda in in Syria. Hmm. Weren't you just fighting Al Qaeda like for twenty years in Afghanistan? Yes, but see, strange bedfellows and all that, right? It's well, it, a power. The this book is about power. Go for it. Yeah. Anyways, one of the sponsors responses to Redeker is, and I can't name an article off the top of my head that does this, but I've come across them. Um, the argument is essentially. Pirates were were petty capitalists. I, right? I think I don't so, think I don't think that that's supported though. It's not supported. Well, the argument and they're not selling their ships. Is that they were is that they were making a separate social order, right? But there are articles, and again, I can't remember the name of it, that talk about how pirates actually helped create a more rational marketplace because they were fencing the goods and they were you know, filling out the market that in spaces that the British empire and the other trading empires couldn't fully fill. And then when those trading empires just matured enough, then the pirates weren't needed anymore. Um, that's roughly some of the arguments out there, but that's the very same kind of propaganda to basically tame them. Yeah. To say that they're just extensions of the, there of are... the world system. That's inevitable. The inevitable world system and we're all part of it. It's capitalist realism in a way. There are certainly uh, people, you know, rock and rollers who rock hard and then they sell out, right? <laughs> in the yeah. sense that they get so rich and they can sit on their copyrights and they can sell their copy. Um, I'm thinking Neil Young. <laughs> yeah. um, Neil Young, you know, uh, this whole the the whole thing with him and Spotify, it's like he doesn't actually even own the rights to most of his songs anymore. He sold them. And so this is like mm-hmm. a political, not a political move. It's a, uh, mo- monetary move in a certain sense because he gets to, uh, shift, shift people to, uh, another platform that is going to be a competitor to Spotify. 
And yeah, you can apply pressure um, if you're a doofus who thinks, you know, Joe Rogan's ruining the world. Um, and, you know, whatever B-list celebrities also want to join you uh, can apply pressure and get their own little publicity thing. Oh, yeah, I like Neil Young songs. But ultimately, uh, he ain't a rock and roller. If if we think of rock and roll as being uh, uh, connected to the idea of making marrying being piratical, because if you live that long and you've come to uh, you know be old and satisfied and sit on your treasure, you're not a pirate. You're not a rock and roller. Yeah, that's... Uh, or I guess he's not. He never was a punk. Right. Uh, yeah, but, that, we gotta we gotta get that lipstick traces audiobook at some point. I don't think it exists though. But there's a book about the punk movement called Lipstick Traces, mm-hmm. which really gets into this counterculture and the politics of it all. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't know that much about music, so I'm Yeah, I don't know be... if rock and roll ever was I mean like even in its origins, it was a commercial thing. Yeah, but there is musical movements that are certainly working class, countercultural, hip hop and like, rap, mm-hmm. punk, and, and yeah, and, punk is never was and never and that mainstream, right? Because perhaps an inability to sell out, uh, <laughs> and yet you know, so this book basically makes the case over and over again that pirates are not here to get enough money to put down a um uh, a, a deposit for a mortgage right and it's yeah. the opposite they are there to party they're there to party mm-hmm. hard they get angry at people who are doing things that were done to them cruel cruelty from the masters low pay bad bad food sickness disease um being whipped and not and so yeah they're they're a very rowdy bunch but they also have a kind of revenge principle. And it's, it, to me, it's really interesting to think about, uh, what's his name? Um, Nietzsche. And, uh, when I found out about this in university, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, the slave morality, master morality yeah. versus slave morality. And, you know, the Romans, the idea here is that the Romans, um, worship power. That's what they cared about. So being cruel to your slaves was moral. But as a slave, you don't like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, this new religion comes from the East. The Greeks, uh, tutors are spreading it in the household and the slaves are listening and they hear, uh, the idea there's this turn the other cheek, right? Uh, mm-hmm. when, when, uh, these masters are rotting in hell as pagans, we will be living in heaven in God's many mansions. Uh, the the way of peace, the way of being a martyr. And eventually it is overturned and the whole state apparatus, right, turn, takes in this new religion, converts it in a kind of capitalist realism way, right, into a product that now it's the Holy Roman Emperor, right, and the, emp- the empire spreading the religion um, as a new tool for authority. But it's, a, it's like a more sophisticated tool. Because it has this master morality, slave morality dynamic. So when we get to this point, this, you know, 18th century, we've got a bunch of, uh, pirates 
who are Christians, uh, nominally, and Christianity has been uh, a big sham, right? It put them in slavery, essentially. It's uh, kept them sick and injured and under cruelty and starved and not enough alcohol. And when they get a chance to overturn it, they, yeah, I'm a devil worshiper, right? They, they, they basically uh, adopt the inverse slave morality, which is no respect for authority. It's not that you need to respect all the gods or just the one God. It's don't respect any God. Our only God is death. Our only God is yeah. merriment and making hay while the sun shines on the earth, right? Making fun, making jolly, making merry. And, and this is like not sustainable, obviously, because they lost. Um, and uh, there is kind of this idea of, of it going in like the age, how old somebody is before they die, right? There's a life, human lifespan within this very brief period. But this, the, the particulars don't kill piracy. It just kills this golden age, right? So that we have, uh, rebels of this kind still with us today. It's, it's within our, ourselves to rebel mm -hmm. against uh, people wanting to control us and lying to us and gaslighting us and telling us that God cares about uh, my profit, <laughs> my profits, and you need to pay for my profits, right? So the idea is like not getting what you were paid, right? You get on the ship, you're forced into this this life often, or you're lied into what you're going to get paid, and then you get ripped off, right? Um, yeah, there's going to be rebels, and yeah, there's going to be mutinies. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is going to happen. And it's a revelation to see it as as a, a slave rebellion, which I don't think most people, when they watch Pirate of the Caribbean movies, you know, they think of it as a slave rebellion at all. Even if even if it's slightly mentioned. And rewatching Black Sails, um, I watched a couple episodes last night. Um, yeah. They do a lot of the things that are in this book. It's true, but they also they have this, uh, the, the main plot point at the beginning is this, uh, Captain Flint, who is one of the characters from, mm -hmm. mentioned in, I guess, um, Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. Um, but he's in, the one who buried the treasure, right? Right. Is that they're going after a particular treasure ship and he's been hiding information from the crew. And so there's a, the, a lot of dissatisfaction because they're not getting enough money to make married like they want. And so we need to have a vote and get him not to be captain anymore. And then the collaboration between him and his, and not his quartermaster, but the quartermaster. So some of this is ahistorical, it seems like, right? Obviously. Yeah. But. But even the the emphasis on the quartermaster is it, so with Baines it was Rackman and mm -hmm. I forget the name of the Rackham. one on Flint ship. Yeah, that Racket was on the Vane ship though. Yeah, yeah, Vane is going to yeah. be the captain. Um, yeah, the and that's all that's historical. The Flint one was fictional, right? Right. right. I, I think a lot of that was trying to fit the again that's making it a prequel to Treasure Island. Right. I think I don't I don't know if Black Sails had just said fuck Treasure Island. Let's just tell this 
let's just adapt villains all nations. Right. It would have maybe been a better show. I, really good, it's but. it's yeah. It's hard to tell, right? Because it, it is yeah. such a weird. It's it's a, a. I think the channel was Stars, and Stars is the channel that put out uh, Spartacus. Put out Spartacus. Yeah. And Spartacus, very class conscious, very radical. Yeah, and also like, like focus on sexuality uh, and sex and human bodies and you know that sort of thing. It doesn't really fit with the idea of. The child, the children's book, uh, Treasure Island, right? So it was kind of a weird fit. On the other hand, I'm not sure it hurt the story exactly. It just sort of gave a, like a, a destination point, right? Yeah. I guess the other maybe way that goes wrong or veers from what I think Redeker's saying about the reality of pirates is Flint's overall goal of the money is to somehow like negotiate with the, capitalist system right for freedom for the pirates that's really what he wants the money for he doesn't well he he actually part. says in the first episode um near the end uh to the bosun he says um uh i will be your king right and this is mm-hmm. it, i hadn't read this book you know at the time i watched it the first time so it didn't mean that much to me but that this is either the most ahistorical part of the show or it, and it, it actually shocks the bosun too, right? He's like surprised that he would say this um, because they don't have kings. But it made me think about how um, at this period of time, there was no alternative to kings. Everybody lived under yeah. a king. There was no country in the world that didn't have a king, right? Like the French Revolution hadn't happened. The United States is still colonies. We have those little republics, like in the Holy Roman Empire and Italy. Oh, sure. Yeah, so there's uh, some Italian states, but they're, you know, these dukedoms and duchies and principalities still have a king. They just don't call him that, right? And maybe his authority yeah. is limited somewhat. But so, uh, I mean, England was the most democratic place on the planet at the time, right? And it wasn't very democratic. I don't know about that, but, but like, take Florence. Florence might be Other an example of one of these republics. Okay. But Florence... Uh, also, is basically a aristocratic republic. Right. It's like on the Roman model. Like it's the property class voted, and and they're also subject to invasion by kings who are their neighbors. Right. So, this is the time of the rise of empire, um, and obviously a lot of the subsequent history since this period is about consolidation. Uh, you know, Italy being mm-hmm. turned into a country. France is already a country at this point, but Italy isn't. Uh, Germany yeah. isn't. And so when Germany finally gets its shit together in some sense, uh, although that's probably not the way we want to classify it, that's the way the Prussians yeah, thought about it's, it's, it. It's an issue with how the history is taught. Like, they, they teach this as somehow progress, like state-making. I got into a thing with my coworkers about the, the way we're teaching right. like some of the historical narratives. How we're If we keep teaching just from the book... Because that's the easy thing to do. We're we're really doing a disservice to the students because we're not even trying to incorporate even a little of new interpretations, and we're not really teaching them critical thinking. We're just saying no. this is what the book says. Yeah, repeated and, on a test. And the natu- but one of the things is like, yeah. why do we priv- Why do we make our narrative about? And this is true even from ancient history. Like, why do we just say history is the history of states? Right. And if states get stronger. That's progress. And when states unify, that's progress. It's like, why is that the case? I mean, it's 
France becomes a nation state. It does this by suppressing local cultures and languages. It does it by being an empire internally. Mm-hmm. Right? Say, so, okay, and now we're going to have public schools. Everyone's going to speak the same language. Everyone's going to, so they all work in the factories or the farms and be part of this, you know, this capitalist system. And all read the same newspapers and get the same propaganda. I mean, that was an issue with common public schools was you want everyone to speak the same language so they can all read the same national press. What they don't want them reading is like the Yiddish press, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the case in the United States, mm-hmm. right? You had like the Yiddish press in New York that was super socialist, really left-wing stuff, anarchist, communists. And it's like, you know, we don't want immigrants reading this. We want them reading like the New York Times. Mm-hmm. So teach them English and these newspapers will be suppressed. I think that's a lot of that's going on in these nation states in Europe when they're trying as they're centralizing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's happening and today. This is part of that. This is this is this is posing a state on the seas. That's what the part of, that's really the narrative of this of this book in a way is how do you impose a state on the sea and you do it through just the most brutal violence you can think of right Mm -hmm. anyone who doesn't step in line is hung publicly Uh, but there's the pardons uh, there's the pardons don't forget the pardons many times which is something we we really actually don't see today at all which i think tells you that the power dynamic is not as as monolithic as it is here right today the techniques of conformity are uh, suppression, <laughs> right? Lockdowns, suppression, yeah. uh, uh, kicking p- kicking people off platforms. Um, so, uh, like, um, there's a guy named George Galloway. He's he's running the British uh, Breakaway Party uh, from the Labour Party because he used to be a Labour uh, MP. Mm-hmm. And yeah, now, I know that guy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he's, even though RT has been banned and kicked off of Twitter and, uh, out of Europe, um, he's still, because he used to have a show on RT, his, his personal account says state affiliated, me- Russian state affiliated media, right? Um, mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm going to sue you if you don't take this off because I- <laughs> I'm not a Russian state affiliated. Like the, the idea of like, we can label somebody as media. a pi- Indeed, indeed. Uh, well, they did the same thing with Ed Schultz, and he's dead. Yes, and yeah, Abby Martin's entire catalog got kicked off. Um, the guy you think is uh, boring, and I think he's boring too, but I think also is right. Chris Hedges, everything of his on on oh, YouTube yeah, just up. deleted, right? Well, if it was RT, was everything by Chris Hedges, or just the RT stuff? Oh, uh, his his RT channel, which which was absolutely. Oh. Uh, like it was, it wasn't had no Russian content at all. It was like interviews with Cornell West and you know the prison system in the United States. Like absolutely no Russian propaganda, f- pro Ukraine war stuff or against Ukraine war stuff. It was just like you know interviews basically. Um, and it, it wasn't he wasn't like a news guy either. He was like commentary and criticism. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, that kind of. Uh, that's the tool. Um, there is no, uh, pardon. Like nobody gets a pardon anymore, right? We can, we can apply for a review of our status to a faceless corporation. But, uh, in dealing with the, the things that are going on in this book, there, there's a lot of pressure from these companies, right? Especially the African trade, 
Uh, what's that? African. We got a Hudson's Bay Company, an East India Company. What's the one for the African slave trade? Well, it's the, the Royal African Company. That's got to be it. One. Yeah, Royal African Company, right? Which is which has stockholders, right? Mm-hmm. The, the guys who live in London and sit on their ass and hope for their ship to come in so that they can get their profits. These these companies can put pressure on the government to make new laws, and one of the things that the government can do, the king can do, is issue a royal pardon, right? So this will solve things. And this doesn't seem to solve anything, right? Because, yeah, some guys are going to take it up, but most will just take it and then go back to sea raiding, right? If you if you said, Jesse, you can have a pardon for all your piratical activities of uh, in the past, I'm not going to throw the certificate away. I'll keep it in my in my mailbox for when the cops come to get me, right? <laughs> On the other hand, it ain't going to stop me for, for, from future activities because it's a free pardon. But – And also, well, well, part of that because the tradition was like in, – in rhetoric, it gets into a little bit how you had the buccaneers and then you had the privateers, which weren't pirates. They were like basically mercenaries, right, for the state. Privateers, yeah. yeah. And they had a function because if you – these – the 18th century, Europe's a constant war, right? But not necessarily every year, every country. So when war ended, you couldn't afford to keep this huge navy. So when war started again, you needed to expand the navy. So the way you did this was you basically, because it was pretty easy to outfit a merchant ship with cannons and say, right. now you're a warship, right? So just make them privateers and give those those um, letters. And it says, okay, letters you have mark. the right to just prey on... Spanish ships because we're at war with Spain, right? And the some of the pirates, some of the ones after, like some of the pirates started that afterwards after the war ended. They're like, okay, now we'll just go after anyone. We're going to keep doing this, and but probably most just said, yeah, we'll go back to selling slaves or whatever we used to do. Um, but so it's a way of it was part of the defense budget in a way, right? Is to keep these these to give these pardons out because mm-hmm. it would. Next war comes, which could happen next year, right? A war of Jenkins a year or whatever nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, then you need these people back on your side. And uh, this is this is how it works. Uh, you know, it's not in the paper, but this is how it works too with Al-Qaeda, right? So it starts off, mm-hmm. um, we're going to use the Afghans to hurt the Soviets. So we give them a bunch of stingers, right? <laughs> and then that comes back to bite you in the ass when the, after, after the Soviets are kicked out. Um, uh, Osama bin Laden's like, you know, I really, um, I don't like that you guys are fucking around and making an empire out of my country, which has got the one true religion. And, um, you've got our, uh, your dirty, uh, pagan feet on, or I guess not the word pagan, but, the bad dirty feet uh on our soil our holy soil get the fuck out of here and they don't and the royal family of sao doesn't comply and so he declares war against the most powerful empire in the world and does his thing and then that provokes a reaction that causes for some reason the invasion of (laughs) of iraq which creates uh, where they suddenly disband the army there's a great move um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which creates Al Qaeda, uh, not Al Qaeda, ISIS, which then proceeds to, uh, you know, fight, 
and love, devastate the country for a while. And then they move. They say, hey, 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 guys, let's uh, focus on Syria. What's important right now? We got a pipeline to put through. And so ISIS goes into Syria. And it's like those guys who you created so many moons ago and funded and supported. Yeah. You're just like not doing it. the the pardons are unofficial. Um they're they're not publicly stated, I guess. But you can see if you're like out at a very high view is saying, yeah, those guys were Nazis 10 minutes ago. Now they're allies. How is that possible? They've got literal death's heads on their mm-hmm. uniforms. Um, <laughs> um and then the uh the anti defamation league is like these are um these are not nazis <laughs> even though you know they're like whipping gypsies in the street um <laughs> like uh i think that there's like a uh a real interesting critique of capitalism in here even though this is like the very beginnings of capitalism in a sense yeah right yeah the moving of cargo via ships. But go for it. Minnehaha Hydro is really about the origin of capitalism. And it looks at not just the pirate stuff, but all other elements of it. So this is like just an expansion of one chapter of that book. And that story of the origin of capitalism. I never, but it's I never, a really important part of it. I never knew, really knew about this share system. I like I knew that the share system existed subsequently. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I knew that pirates had the share system, but the idea of pay, uh, versus shares. So I think this must be going back to pre money in a certain sense, right? Well, I, like, I think how do the Vikings something do it? like this goes, but like, think of the Romans. Like, I think the Romans, why were the Romans constantly at war and expanding? Like, you know, this is another Making the textbook. It's like, oh, the Romans expanded. It, you know, and it just you just see they had these troops that went out and they, they expanded the empire. And fine, maybe that's fine for seventh grade. I don't know, but what they were they were they were they paid their troops with slaves, right? Right, and so that meant you had to be at constant war because you know they, it wasn't going to be And they also paid them pay with land them. too, but mostly slaves. Yeah, land, land yeah, but yeah, you go. Why was Julius Caesar fucking around Gaul for a decade or whatever it was? It's like. You Getting know, rich to on make slaves. his soldiers rich, so they'd be super, super loyal to him, mm-hmm. right? Because they were all enriched by the slaves. Yeah. So the, is that? But I don't think, like, captain share, quarter share, half share, right? This is this is something you do with a. It's almost like a co-op, right? Whereas yeah. the CEO gets paid a little more uh, than the uh, than the line worker. Um, and the quartermaster gets paid a little more. And th- this is in those pirate uh, charters as well, right? So, yeah, it's like some 1.5 shares for the cat. Right. One which is, which others, is yeah. not substantially a lot more given, you know, you're four, you got 40 or 60 guys on a ship. Um, and plus they can get rid of you as captain anytime. Right. And, and that's why he's pay is so, uh, commensurate mm-hmm. with their activities, right? Um, but there's also that, uh, I thought it was interesting talking about how some of the captains do get murdered by their crew members because mm-hmm. they are too class above them. It, they can read and they can navigate. They have skills that are um, beyond that of a, a common sailor. 
Um, then they have, or, you know, just the ability to, but I think a lot of it is to do with reading, right? Um, just being able to read. Uh, and that's probably true the quartermaster too. Like yeah. Why they were so important. Right. And so uh, having the, these, and I thought the connections to the Tribune was pretty interesting because this is, I, I was thinking this is, in Canada, we have a really stupid system, as you know. <laughs> but um, one of the interesting things is the senators, they don't get any attention, uh, but they're appointed for life now, or at least like till mm. the age of, you know, super ancient, right? And they, they don't start off as all old, old, old fogies. They're usually, you know, in their 40s or 50s at the very minimum. Um, but they're appointed and they are usually were party loyalists, right? To whatever party was in power at the time, the conservatives or the liberals or whatever. Um, mm. but once they are appointed, they can't be, they have tenure and they can sort of go against the government. But they don't initiate legislation. But the idea is that they, they're there like a tribune in a certain sense. They're untouchable by, by the federal uh, government in power, po- party in power. Mm-hmm. Um, the prime minister can't unappoint, uh, uh, a senator. There have been senators removed, but usually it's for like, uh, you know, not showing up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a trial held by the senators themselves. Um, so the idea of like this, um, you don't have that in the States, right? The only, the closest you have that in the States is like the, uh, federal, um, Supreme justices, right? They're the only ones who can, I guess they could be impeached too, but it would be a trial and, you know, and there's so few of them, uh, was seven. Is that right? Seven Supreme court justices. Well, Supreme court nine now. Nine. Okay. Um, in any case, yeah. um, uh, but that, that's a super reactionary institution. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and and yeah, and they're generally yeah they're political they're essentially political appointees by both parties. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and in any case, the idea of the quartermaster as a balance to the captain's power and that his authority is not identical, and yet these are. These are states on a ship, right? So when yeah, in battle, they are at and- war and the captain's word is law. But as soon as the battle's over, we think you fucked that up. You're fired, right? Yeah. And if you st- – the articles are the constitution and the captain is not the king. This yeah, is the, very important. Like the first constitutions, right? Like people – overthrowing some authority, a mutiny mm-hmm. or whatever, right? And then sitting down and writing down their rules. I mean, that's a constitution, right? It is. Americans are so proud of, you know, writing that first constitution or whatever. And it's like, well, I guess you had those like ancient constitutions, but I don't think they're ever written down. Yeah. The Roman but law is, is really, mostly tradition, right? Yeah. Um, but we, yeah, like Aristotle wrote the Athenian constitution, but that was again, just the traditions. It was mm-hmm. just, but the idea of actually writing it down, you know, the pirates are doing that first. So it's one of those things you, you can't really prove. But did they get the idea from it? Some say they got it from the Iroquois. But <sighs> yeah, they're confederacy. And the pirates are writing it down. Yeah, I think that's there might be something to that. But there's a, there's also the really interesting thing is, is you know, the, the phraseology that comes up in this book. So on account, 
right? Yeah. Like, that word comes up. Uh, I, this must be your second Going time reading account. this book, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah. third. Okay. So um, actually, I did a class called Bandits and Pirates, and then we, I signed this book. Cool. Because um, a lot – actually, the bandit stuff comes up a lot because he gets that from Eric Hobsbawm's book on bandits, which talks to them about them as like cultural icons, but mm. also like in just demic to peasant societies. It's like the – almost like an escape valve in peasant societies. Mm-hmm. Like they're almost necessary because they provide hope and they do provide some – they release the pressure a little bit. They redistribute the wealth just a little bit. And even if they don't – they're not like Robin Hood handing out bags of money to the poor. They're – you know – Peasants like them because it's like wow, they're sticking it to the man. To the, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I, I was going to talk about. Oh uh, yeah, so the uh, the signing of the articles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this is a uh, something we don't do in, in when I was born. I didn't know I was born in to Canada. I knew that I was born. Yeah, you never I guess. signed on to the. Constitution, I never right? did. Yeah, yeah. I never did, and I never I will. Either. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, like I, I mentioned in a previous show to you, I'm sure um, when I when I was going to sign up for the Boy Scouts, I didn't realize that there was a queen involved, and that I had to care about Canada, and I didn't like this song that I was being forced to sing that wasn't a sea shanty. <laughs> it was uh, about how great Canada is, or I can't even remember the lyrics actually. Uh, our home and native land, true patriot love at all our sons command. See, there's, there's like, there's an implicit submission in that song. That's why I never liked to sing it. And I never did. I always, I would move my lips when everybody else was making those noises. Some of the, like the U.S. founders, framers, founders, the founding fathers, some of them, some of them worried about this actual issue of like, are we, forcing future generations to accept our idea, right? So they put the amendment process in, that's kind of a mealy mouth solution to it. Mm-hmm. But Jefferson was more radical, of course, and he says maybe every seven, eight years or so you need to rewrite the whole thing. Right? I haven't done yeah, that. And, but there yeah, have been changes. Well, yeah, I would argue there was one time the U.S. Constitution was fundamentally rewritten that was in the 1860s. Oh, I was going to the Civil War. I was going to say uh, after they repealed the uh, prohibition. <laughs> well, that's yeah. They tried it. The, the Progressive Era maybe was another radical change in the what it did, but it wasn't as fundamental because you know slavery was so much written in the original mm. Constitution. It was so much part of the compromise mm. it, it, that made it, it. It was like even though it's not mentioned, it's really it's there on it like all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so they had to kind of, the, the 13th, 14th, 15th amendment essentially rewrites a lot of the fundamentals of the constitution. But, um, like giving people the right to vote, that's not in the constitution. Hmm. The constitution doesn't give anyone the yeah, right to vote. It's, inter- uh, it's interesting right. to think about but the constitution says, yeah, what's black not people there. Can vote. Yeah. Yeah. And that it says people, or it's, it doesn't say that it doesn't say black people can vote. It says anyone, you can't, Voting rights can't be taken away on account of mm. race. Um, on gender, it could, right? But it, that that idea that you have a right to vote that doesn't come around until the 1860s, at least not at the federal level. Mm. Um, of course, getting rid of slavery and defining citizenship. 
that was something that was always done by law, mm-hmm. not by not by fundamental law. Um, but yeah, back back to the thing about like signing on, like having the individual sign under the Constitution. I mean, even in a way, churches are even better at this because you might be brainwashed into your religion, mm-hmm. but they at least make you go through a class. This is what we believe. And mm-hmm. you have to kind of sign on to it at some point. That's what confirmation is, right? That's right. You saying, and that's, I agree with this. Isn't the confirmation around the age of uh, what we would think of as consent, like 13 or something like that? Like for Jews, it's... it's I think it's, it's 13 uh, or 14. For, it, you're signing up Lutherans. to be a Jew by reading from the Torah, right? Yeah. Um, you know yeah. how to read. You can show that you're a, a man amongst the community. Um. It, when, when is confirmation for Christians? Well, I, I, it, for Lutherans, it was like 13 or 14. Yeah. So I assume Catholics are about the same because yeah. Luther didn't change some so of that So you have stuff. to be an adult in at the beginning of your adulthood is the idea. Yeah. But then you had the more radical Protestants who said, like, we need to have adult baptism for this reason. They're saying, like, how, how messed up is this to baptize children? Yeah, they have no consent in doing it, and you know, even Jesus was baptized as an adult. <laughs> well, I mean, I, there are a lot of American churches who do it that way, right? And they, and they yeah. sometimes get rebaptized because they, yeah, born again, yeah. right? Um, well, the the word Anabaptist means rebaptized, but mm. the Anabaptist himself says no. Like, yeah, I was quote unquote baptized as a kid, but that wasn't a baptism. That right. was just parents throwing some water on my head so how do the quakers fit into this (laughs) because uh they don't have a pirate master they don't have a king there's a mix right it's the spirit moves me i think i think the quakers are pretty like the puritans too i mean puritans kind of get a bad reputation because they're kind of religious nuts in 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 the new world but they had a lot of strong England, opinions about dancing. In such. England, they were more, I think there was a more radical, I mean, if you look at like the Putney debates during the English Civil Wars, mm-hmm. the whole um, promise, that's mentioned a little bit here too. Yes. It makes, it's like a one sentence, but mm-hmm. it's developed in many headed Hydra, is that the, the Putney debates were like a, the working class, these were debates within the New Model Army, and they were debating things like, class and authority and aristocracy mm-hmm. and the power of the of the generals and the the people you know what are we going to create if we get rid of the king you know are we going to create a new society or are we just going to have the same old aristocratic stuff and he, that book makes the argument that after the english civil war a lot of these people went to the new world went to Africa, became pirates, went on the ships, and they spread these ideas. Mm-hmm. So the ideas spread. That's what, that's why I like that book so much, because the idea of the many-headed hydra is these like these tendrils of, of knowledge and discourse across the Atlantic, and even to an extent across the world, but mostly in the Atlantic. And, you know, how do these ideas carry? Well, it's, it's by the sea, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is what you see in, like, Lovecraft all the time. Mm-hmm is ideas being carried up by the sea, radical ideas. Um, speaking of Lovecraft, though, I thought a lot about Castro in this book. Adolf to Castro, Castro? Or are you talking, uh, you're talking the I'm guy talking about, from about Call of Cthulhu? Castro. Okay. Yeah, Call of Cthulhu Castro. Um, 
Call of Cthulhu Castro was remember you had that cult in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cthulhu cult in New Orleans like it's basically smashed by the police. I mean, there's like a radical. So there's some radical stuff in that book. That's mm-hmm. that story. In this way, so the police was basically they're murderers and stuff, but mm-hmm. still, it's a it's a it's a weird cult that no one in the straight society likes. So the police are called in and they just like murder them and arrest them, the whole thing, right, mm-hmm. the whole group. But some survivors are, and one is this guy Castro. And Castro's asked, like, by the police, and you get the whole interview in the in the story. Castro's asked, like, why do you follow this stuff? Why do you believe in this? And Castro says something like. Oh, Cthulhu promises us freedom in this world mm. um, and revelry and the same stuff the pirates were after. Right. That's why I kept thinking of Castro mm. with this. We're living for this day. We're living on this world and we're making the most of it. And we're not going to be slaves in this world. We're not going to mortgage our lives for. Yeah, this is interesting. And Castro. So Castro saying Cthulhu. Yeah, he, he seems not to care that that Cthulhu's like, like doing like why you can't even have a moral language to talk about Cthulhu, right? No, <laughs> he's not evil. So I'm trying, he's I'm beyond to, good and evil. Yeah, but he's but the question is like, why would you follow this? And he's like, well, he's promising happiness in this world, same way with the deep ones. I mean, the in the Innsmouth stuff, it's like mm-hmm. they're being promised something that, like eternal life in a yeah. way, mm-hmm. immortality. But it's and you get to be kings. It's also like a type of freedom. Yeah, a freedom at sea, right? Mm-hmm. Freedom in the sea. So, yeah, that's why I kept thinking about Castro. You know, the same language. It's funny because it comes up in Lovecraft. Yeah, I was thinking about Robert E. Howard and a little bit about how Robert E. Howard. Uh, I I was wondering. I I think he did write some pirate stories. I think there's one called Black Valima's Vengeance, um, but I haven't read that one. Um, but I was thinking how interesting his take on this would be, if especially if he was up on scholarship in the way that I'm not. I wasn't before I I read this book. Um, I, I want to read that General History of Pirates, but the um, which was a contemporary book uh, with with the golden age of piracy and i've seen it on librivox but it's a collaboration so i don't, I don't want to read that one it's super long too yeah I, and I, I've, I, I've read excerpts read from it word of it i've read excerpts mm-hmm. from it uh but uh, and you know almost everything we know <laughs> about you know who who the famous pirates were other than basically through this book is saying you know here's a list of uh where these guys are from or whatever is from that general history of pirates um, there's a lot, a lot of interesting things in this, in this book, but, um, Rowdy Howard's, um, defiance of authority and disrespect for authority that is not, uh, basically disrespect for hypocrisy is something that Lovecraft is not willing to deal with. Um, the HPLHS, uh, uh, voluminous podcast had a recent, um, uh, the last letter from, I think, Lovecraft to Howard before Howard kills himself. And, mm-hmm. and Lovecraft is super apologetic for making some statements about, you know, uh, <laughs> that love, uh, that Howard was offended by, um, I think in saying, you know, how crime works in the Southwest and basically, uh, the, their dispute is over, 
Lovecraft saying, look, everybody who moves into an area wants, as a pioneer, wants to have their children do better than they do. Um, yeah. And that's his argument. And the thing is, is that is kind of true, right? Uh, fundamentally. On the other hand, there are places people move to specifically to get away from the things that they're, they, they dislike. And one of, uh, this is what's really interesting about the states as compared to Canada is that gun culture is, uh, in opposite. It's that defiance that keeping guns to keep the king honest, uh, is a thing that we don't have as much. We have it a little bit, but not the way, uh, the states does. And so the, the gun culture is you better fucking not come into my house because yeah, I might have a gun. And, mm-hmm. and that, 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 the fear and the, you know, the escalating via swatting people and stuff like that. They, the idea of we need special weapons and tactics because things are getting worse. It's more like we need to be able to crack down because some people are getting uppity. Black Panthers are getting uppity, right? And they're, they're open carrying weapons. And so a lot of people who are, you know, much more complicit with the state than I am. Um, I'm thinking Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Paul has respect for the state in a way that I do not. Um, they can see this not through the lens of you're infringing on my God-given right to do whatever the fuck I want. And and the the police are there to keep order. But really, they're there to keep, and I think it's in the last chapter of this book, right? Is the, the, the police are there as, as the unfair <laughs> captains of states, nations that are keeping the shares for themselves and not sharing with the workers yeah. on the ship of state. And, Having access to the, the ship store of arms is actually one of the things that keeps the captains honest. That keeps the captains at, who are elected, right? You're, it, it is essentially like electing a king who's, or, or like the way the Romans did it, the dictator. He has ultimate power during war, um, but doesn't have the power, uh, after the war, right? He relinquishes his power. Um, this is very much. To to some col- they have to go to some frontier, right? Sometimes. Yes, like but they give them in a province. Yeah, yeah, because it, that was the tradition, right? There was no law saying they had to do that, but they had to go off and and uh, relinquish the power and currency of and disband their army in a certain sense, right? Um, and you know the all the traditions not bringing bringing uh, armed troops into the city, right? It's all to keep the the state afloat in the right way. But in, in thinking of nations as something of value, right? I, I, it's mm-hmm. right now, everybody, we haven't talked about this, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say. But right now, everybody has a blue and yellow sticker on their, their Twitter bio, right? Uh, one of the restaurants I drive by has a big blue and yellow sign, uh, as I drive by. I know the guy who runs that restaurant. Um, he is mm-hmm. a good person. He's always trying to help things, but I don't think he understands that nation states aren't something we, we want. Now, 
is that is it the case yeah. that people are suffering in uh, parts of the world? Absolutely, hundred percent. But teaming up with one state against another is much like, you know, picking. It is inescapable. Capitalism <laughs> does seem to be inescapable. Yeah. On the other hand, um, when you put on a badge or put on a patch or swear to obey uh, the lawfully uh, whatevered king of your ship, you are submitting yourself to power and supporting power that will not be wholly seen by you. Yeah. And that is not what's happening in these pirate ships. If the captain hides information or steals from the, like the, the incident with the dresses, you remember that in this book mm-hmm. where the, was it the yeah. quartermaster and the captain, uh, took some dresses from the shared hold, which was, uh, not attended, right? There's no guard on, on this stuff. Went in there and took some dresses to put on some ladies. They like, seize them back from the captain and the quartermaster and then tear them up or something like that. And it's like, how dare you? How dare you put on uh, these clothes to sell for your own benefit? They are to be sold at auction. And I think there's even a little hint of that in that opening episode of uh, Black Sails where um, they talk about hide and in fact long john silver or john silver as he's called in the show right he's our introduction inter introducer to the story he's not really the protagonist of the show he's just our way of visiting these pirates and him join i think we don't actually see him signing the uh making his mark right on the charter or anything like that i don't remember that i don't think i don't think we see that but he's the only one uh, adopted by the crew because he was a cook, he says. Um, he's actually doing something fundamentally wrong, which is hiding something of value from the crew he's joined, right? The whole idea is open it up, open up the books. And if you can't read, which is like most of us, right? We don't have access to the, to the, uh, to the government's actual books. We have to rely on our representatives and our representatives are sometimes in collusion with the captain. This is a huge problem, but on a, on a small ship, a small ship of state with a black flag saying, fuck you, except we're friends with everybody, with every other ship that says, fuck you to slave states. It's very, very powerful stuff. It's very interesting to think about how, it does connect with the creation of the U.S. because I, I, I don't think that Iroquois Confederacy uh, explanation or it's all John Locke. I don't think the John Locke yeah. connection is as strong as this is. Like the, the, these are the states that are or the provinces, Providence and, or the island of Providence, I guess. But uh, the state of Massachusetts is where a lot of these pirates came from, right? And they're, they're right in the middle of the trade between Africa and, uh, Europe. So they're living it. And then they come back from this and, and those ideas, can't, they're not memes exactly, but the, the spread of these ideas, um, certainly, certainly, uh, is gonna influence us. One of my students, he he uh did a, he he's really into history and he, I ask him to write fiction all the time 
uh, because I need him to show me his grammar, you know? And he did a very thinly veiled um, uh, <laughs> description of the Boston Tea Party. And I'm like, mm-hmm. he was surprised that I knew what this was, right? Because he's really into history. And I was thinking about the Boston Tea Party. Uh, you know, the way I was told it the first time, I didn't understand uh, why they were dressing up like Indians. Um, and yeah. I was like, this is stupid. If they're trying to protest, dressing up like Indians doesn't make any sense because they're just hiding what they're doing. Uh, but it wasn't, they were dressing up like Indians because they were trying to blame it on the Indians. They were dressing up like Indians as uh, we are the natives of this land and we are protesting and we are barbarians. Right. Is not what it's supposed to yeah. be about. I mean, it's, it's kind of like asking what, what, yeah, sure. what, what yeah. January 6th was about. Right? <laughs> we know what some people say it was about. Um, but I don't think, I don't think there was any British instigators, uh, agitators, agi- uh, agent provocateurs probably involved. Although that'd be interesting. An interesting story. Agent provocateurs involved in the Boston Tea Party. But the idea of like protesting and oh my God, if, if no one, reads this book for anything else. The fact that the word strike comes from sailors striking the sails. Yeah. Holy cow. What a find. Amazing. Never even thought about that before. Yeah. yeah. I knew that before, but, um, amazing. I wasn't thinking about it. Yeah. So much good stuff here. Um, are you jealous? I was thinking about this is really your bailiwick, right? This is your favorite thing is Atlantic history. This is what you, you studied. Are you yeah. are you super jealous of Marcus Redeker? Is that how you feel towards him? Well, I worked. Uh, I did a. Uh, I did end up doing more Pacific history because I like the Atlantic stuff. But um, I thought, well, maybe we can kind of open a door into the Pacific mm-hmm. to make similar arguments. I want to hear about blackbirders in the South yeah, South so Pacific. I, and so that's what I started doing. With my research, I didn't have any contact with Redeker, except once I applied to a conference he was running, and I wasn't accepted. Oh, no. Well, I looked at a lot of logbooks for my dissertation, and I noticed not many mutinies. Mutinies are rare, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the period I was studying, anyways. In the 19th century, they're, they're, much, they're much rarer. You have, like, the Bounty Mutiny is the famous one, but they're, they're not that common. They happen. But what you have a lot of are, is, like, near-mutinies. If you really read the log books, mm-hmm. where you'll have like you'll just be reading the log book and most entries will be boring, and then you'll have one thing that like oh someone was beaten, and or someone was, no they want to say beaten was like put in irons and and punished in some way, mm-hmm. um, and then one of the crew members protests to the mate, um, and they'll be like and or maybe a group will protest this uh, yep. punishment and. And then they'll be it'll get tense. You get the sense reading the logbook, even though they're really short entries. You get the sense it's really tense for a moment, and then it gets sort of diffused. Something happens and it's diffused, right? If that's you know, a non-shitty captain, right? This is the this it's is the skill non- that that Captain Bly never had, right? He, but I think the point I wanted to make in this paper, I hadn't, I never wrote it because I wasn't accepted at the conference. But I wanted to make is that like near mutinies were common, so that that I was just trying to saying that like, protest that sees greater. Then if you just look at mutinies, you're not seeing the whole picture of, of protested mutiny on the ships. Mm-hmm. But he didn't accept my paper, my proposal. So well, he was jealous. He was worried about the competition, perhaps. Although, 
I I was thinking about um how 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 upset would he be given I, he's still alive I yeah. think right would he be that yeah. I pirated his book. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the end. I don't know. His copyright, you know, the copyright notice. It's yeah. like, um, <laughs> I mean, he can't be too, uh, he can't be too, I mean, he can be upset if he wants to be, but, um, uh, <laughs> I think he's, I think like Peter Leinball, who I always see these two together because they wrote that book, Many Headed Hydra. Mm-hmm. I think Peter Leinball is more like openly political in his life. Mm. Like he was at Occupy Wall Street and oh, he talks there and he and his works, recent works in particular, like uh, he did one on May Day. Um, he like the the rural agrarian origins of May Day and the labor origins of, of May Day and, and things like that. Then he he wrote one about um, the commons. So I think his works become more outwardly political. Mm. And that's one reason I kind of like his stuff. He's a little older. It's um, a, it's, but, he's like nine years older than Redding. Yeah. In his first book, he might be retired now as if from teaching. Probably. But uh, not Redeker, maybe. But uh, he, um, um, but Peter Leinbaugh's first book, The London Hanged, is it's really dense and hard to read, but it's wonderful. I mean, he goes into the real, just the, the violence of the work against the working class in England. Which, you know, you think about these pirates being hung and Redeker talks about his terrorism. It's like, but that was like the everyday thing for the London working class when theft over a pound was a capital offense. Right. Transportation might be the cure as well. Transportation was the out. Yeah. And I think he did get it there. Where did I read about this? But it comes up a little bit in this story with the Anne Bonny Mary Reed stuff is the pleading the belly. Mm-hmm. It's because you'd be okay. You get arrested on account. I'm, I'm pleading the vet, pleading the belly. Yeah. <laughs> you, but you go, you go to Newgate. Let's say you get thrown in Newgate. And or Newgate, Belmarsh. A, yeah. It's not like a modern. It's not like a modern prison. They were pretty open. And this is something like Neil Stevenson gets into in the Brooks cycle quite a mm-hmm. lot, which is a lot of fun. Before he became like a total like Elon, like, like right winger. <laughs> He's become a bit of a right wing. No, no, is that, I don't think he's. I want to say right wing, but he's like a believer in tech. Okay. Like tech will save the world. Tech but I don't know if he always thought that way. Okay. He was more. Uh, there's a lot of cool working class stuff in the Brooks cycle, but he does this picture of Newgate and the the other prisons in London. Really, jails. They're not prisons, but they're jails, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're where you put people when you arrest them. Yeah. Until their trial or until they're punished. Um, but they were pretty open places because you needed to have some kind of commerce. So people could come in, prostitutes could come in, you know, people could come and sell stuff. Mm-hmm. If you could pay the guards off, you could live in a nice apartment and basically be free while, even though you're technically in Newgate, even leave the prison as long as you came back by a certain time. So, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young woman. I'm a domestic servant. I steal a bunch of silverware from my employer. I get arrested. I get sent to Newgate. I'm going to, it's a capital offense, right? Mm-hmm. My only way out is to plead the belly and, and get transportation. Mm-hmm. Well, how hard in this situation would it be to get pregnant in over a couple months? Probably I mean, not very hard. Not that hard. You wink at a guard, 
talk to another prisoner, whatever. Yeah. So I think this pleading the belly must have been really, really common. Yeah. As a just a as a way out, and I think that's got to be looked at as another because these people then would get transportation. There's the name of your book, Pleading the Belly. <laughs> pleading the belly. Yeah. That's <laughs> good time. I, I think this has been. This has been investigated, so it's not too much to there. I want to. I want to know. Have you read uh, Jack London's um, South Sea Island books with dogs? There's uh, Jerry of the Islands. No, I haven't read any of them. I okay, that. So, um, you know, he he was a sailor. <laughs> some of the short stories about he, the South Seas. Yeah, uh, and they're terrific. He, uh, he even has some science fiction ones. Uh, Goliath. I was thinking about Goliath the other day, and it yeah. ends it, it ends and begins so uh, so good. Such a great story. Anyways, um, uh, there's this book called Jerry of the Islands. I, I years ago I got the color. Um, illustrations from the original serialization i put it up as a pdf it's a huge book um you know it was a f- sort of a follow-on from his other dog book call of the wild but in the yeah. south pacific and so it's from the point of view of a little terrier um but it i i'm assuming there's blackbirding involved in it and blackbirding is uh for people who don't know it's uh slavery by other name um, in the South Pacific, making stealing people from islands or convincing them to go from one island to another to work copra fields or whatever. And basically, it's modern day, 20, 19th century, early 20th century, mostly 19th century, um, uh, slavery in the South Pacific. Yeah, it's kind of a slave trade. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's a book about this called the White. I think it's called the White Pacific, which says like, and actually a lot of the people engaged in this kind of slave trade were like people from the South who just right. They get on the boat after yep. the Civil War. They get they're like they okay, know, they know their business. Just, uh, yeah. Um. So I I would love to see what <laughs> a terrier through the eyes of Jack London would think about uh, blackbirding, and I think it. It has, it's basically been completely forgotten, right? This book. Um, you, you, yeah. you've maybe heard of it, but, uh, everybody, yeah. it, you know, you talk a lot about John Barleycorn. Most people talk about the Sea Wolf or, you know, the two dog books. Um, and he's got some short stories, but, uh, the fact that, and there's a sequel too. I think some, somebody brother of Jerry, right? Another dog, uh, in the seas and, I don't know anything about it, but it, it does fit with the, uh, this, this amazing place. And, um, I think it's, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, I want to like him more than I do. I really like his, his yeah. philosophy and I like his life story. Um, and that's why I, I guess this is, uh, we were talking about doing Treasure Island. So this is sort of pre homework for Treasure Island in a certain yeah. sense. Um, but, uh, his story about like him moving to Tahiti with his, his uh, wife and his stepkid uh, and then dying there um, and being thought of as not an asshole <laughs> by the natives is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And he, he, he has a book, uh, Travels with a Donkey in Spain, that sounds pretty interesting. So we got a lot of good reading ahead of us is what I'm saying, I think. Yeah, looking um, forward to it. This is a good book, though. I... Uh, I I did. It wasn't like I don't know why I'd been doing it, but before I was looking at, you know, before I read this book, long before I was reading those um, uh, 
pirate charters, the um, yeah, they're in Charles Johnson. Okay. Um, By the way, my my version of it still has the author as Daniel Defoe because oh, this might some of your listeners may not know this. No one knew who this Captain Charles Johnson was, so a lot of people assumed. I don't assumed came to the conclusion somehow there must have been some scholarship behind it, but they came to the conclusion that Defoe wrote it and. You can still find versions of it that say Daniel Defoe wrote the general history of pirates, but mm. I think that's most people don't think that's who actually studied this. Think that's true anymore, and I think Captain Charles Johnson was a real person, um, you know, who wrote this. And there are captains with that name. It's a pretty common name, I think. Yeah, the names in here are pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is. Yeah. They feel like they're they like Vane V A N E. That's yeah. a fun name. Um, and there's a lot of uh, you know famous pirates and less famous pirates um we didn't talk very much about uh, i think this is on the wikipedia entry for redeker talking about uh, the two lineages of pirates in the golden age the two you know the way they spread oh. sort of it's like two families um yeah and how they're 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 jolly rogers and so if you type in jolly rogers today um you, you just get the skull and crossbones but apparently it was that's sort of like the final form <laughs> version. That's the Disney-fied version. Um, and it's more like, you know, it's the hourglass a skeleton and a black fl- background, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the same way that you see these paintings from the Middle Ages. Oh, and I also love that uh, cocaine was mentioned in here because yeah. those uh, highly literate um and undersexed, uh, monks <laughs> or oversexed mm. monks, uh, writing Bible, copying Bibles all day or growing wine or whatever it is they're doing. Um, thinking about the land of milk and honey <laughs> and going and, uh, hanging out with the nuns down the street. <laughs> it, 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 I was thinking this is the like, this is the dork version <laughs> of pirates because they're like they're like <laughs> they're at home making memes about what what it would be uh fun to, <laughs> fun to do um you know to have a waifu <laughs> pillow <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of actually you know breaking out of the uh the uh monastery that they're stuck in and you know taking a, a ship of state and uh going a pirating it, it it's um it was an interesting connection because the land of uh, uh, cheese raining from the sky <laughs> is is a hilarious thing, and it it is a bottom up thing. Even though these guys are not at the very bottom, right? Uh, they're not definitely at the top, and it is it's something that comes down to us from from such a long time ago. Uh, it, it, it's. It's an interesting connection, uh, but yeah. So these two, these two pirate um, families, right? And the fact that they're all brothers uh, of the sea, um, and there's some sisters in there, and they're not racist um, when they are thinking about uh, freeing slaves. They're not thinking about uh, selling them in most cases, right? They're, yeah, recruit them. Recruit them. Um, make them fellow members. Make the army stronger make more liberty uh although they're not using that word make more merry have more fun uh be more 
be more fair on the seas and and the fact that this can only really be done at this time like doing piracy today uh, of the kind that uh that is being done in this book is basically impossible because <laughs> you know the US military rules the seas there ain't no question about this right there aren't no place yeah. on the earth where you like they're literally in the black sea right they're literally in the red sea they're 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 on every sea in the ocean except for the aral sea as far as i can tell um <laughs> there's no ships in the aral sea cuz that's wholly subsumed by uh uh well maybe uh, maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe there's some american ships in the <laughs> american coast guard like the fact that they've got the coast guard off the coast of iran american coast guard what the fuck is going on? Well, it's not even just America. I think there's no wild places. Like, maroon communities, I think a lot about. Right. Um, there was places in these empires. That was like, a place it, to it, run to, though. Not, a, could go, not a place to uh, not a place to live, right? It was not a place to to attack from. It was a place to run to. Well, some, some maroons would engage in aggressive behavior against neighboring plantations and things. But, yeah, generally it was like. We're leaving and we're setting up a new society with new rules. We're getting away know. from those guys who are oppressing but, us. But the seas were a wild place until maybe the middle of the 18th. This is really part of that. The story is part of the taming of the wild, of, of those wild spaces. And they just don't exist anymore. If it's not the U.S., it's some other state has those waters under under their thumb. So where does piracy move to? I'm not sure. Well, well, well uh, not not even piracy, but this ethos. Well, I was this, thinking about Jesse James and the you know the the outlaws of the old West, Billy the Kid, Jesse James, the Frank uh, Younger gang. Mm-hmm. You know these guys who are somewhat um, respected by the underclass, especially in the South, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, um, ultimately. Their, their brotherhood doesn't exist, right? Because there's, every man's hand is against them because of capitalism in a certain sense, right? Uh, I, I think Jesse James gets shot in the back while hanging a portrait, right? Because there was a, there was a bounty out specifically for him. And he's like, yeah, I'm retired. I'm hanging this portrait on the wall. And then it's shot in the back because he's got, he's, uh, you're allowed to shoot, shoot, uh, outlaws. In the back, um, and they don't—they didn't have that. Um, uh, I don't think they had that um, outlaw spirit in the same way that the pirates do. The brotherhood of being on a ship—it's—it it is kind of weird. Um, I don't. How much time have you spent on ships? Because the only thing I haven't really done is like crossed an ocean on a ship. That's yeah, all. I haven't spent much. My, one of my uncles was really into ships, and my dad was – or boats, I should say. My dad was uh, a boat guy. And there is uh, – it was – it was – it is it is amazing to be able to get on a boat and go somewhere, and you load stuff on, and you load st- – take stuff off, and you don't, you don't have money exactly, but you have ability to trade things and get food and – and you know, go to a festival up the coast or whatever, and it is it is an amazing experience. And you do need to like 
sort of follow the more experienced person because they know how to make the the ship go. Uh, they know how to um, uh, navigate, which is something you need to. This is way before GPS, right? Or at yeah. least public GPS. Um, you need to have a chart. You need to figure out uh, how to tie ropes to the dock so they don't float away, right? All of these little things are – you literally do need to learn the ropes. And you need to learn how to swim too. Um, and these are all things that are they're, – they're kind of like school, right? It's uh, – I don't, I don't know. I, I was never really a farmer. I've lived on farms, but I was never like – I planted things in this season. I mean, a little bit as an adult, right? Um, mm. And I harvest in that season. But that seems a little more um, less fraught because everything is about the weather uh, and the time of day on the land. Whereas this is you're going into the ocean, which can be dangerous because we don't have satellite. Um, this is a place where uh, uh, if you don't know the... The area, you can run your ship afoul. Um, so there is a need for skill and a need for, for respect, but there's also, um, the pay is low. <laughs> and, um, so it's, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this other than to say, I think it's really, really interesting. And it's something that's very disconnected from most people's lives. When one of my, uh, my teachers at um, college, um, and I call professors there, instructors or whatever. Um, when I when one day I noticed he had a an anchor tattoo on his arm, I'm like, "What the fuck is that?" And and because I didn't know a lot of people with tattoos back then, right? Mm-hmm. O- only bikers, basically. And the, here's a guy who's a writer. Who's uh, he, uh, turns out he was a gay man as well. I didn't know that. <laughs> and um, and uh, he says oh, I was in the Merchant Marine. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like a whole backstory, right? That you don't know about people's lives. But the fact that uh, this is a thing that uh, profoundly changes a lot of people. The reason William Hope Hodgson got out of the uh, sailoring business is because he was bullied and he hated it. And the pay was terrible. Um, and he, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bully my way out of this. And he did. He just, you know, bluffed his, he got into a fight yeah. with, with, uh, Houdini <laughs> to make publicity for himself. Um, because it was just such a, and he, he, his first articles are about how terrible it was to be a merchant, uh, sailor and how to get out of it and don't send your boys to sea because it's mm-hmm. just full of bullies. Um, Right now, all those ships at sea, um, I know Luke Burridge, the podcaster, is back on, uh, cruise ships after, you know, two and a half years of lockdowns or whatever. I don't know if cruise ships count, but. Well, no, but, but uh, all, think... all the, all the crew on the ship, he's the talent. Oh, yeah. All the crew, yeah. they're th- Filipinos, right? They're, uh, Malaysians. Yeah, of course. Because mm-hmm. these are the only people who are willing to be oppressed and can be oppressed in the same way. Well, I think that's, that's, something maybe to to talk about a little bit is how we are i don't know who we who we're defining we maybe in the in the in the global north in the in the developed countries we're farther and farther away from actual production hmm. which wasn't the case in the 18th century so if you weren't a sailor you were somehow 
in, involved in direct production for people's lives, right? You were they weren't bullshit jobs. They weren't nope. David Graeber's bullshit jobs. You were a farmer or a cooper or you, a cook. Cook, yeah. You you were in or a factory, whatever. And even and this might even been true just a few generations ago, where people lived production. And the, you know, of course, Marx talks about commodity fetishism, which is the idea that we we become so distant from the stuff that we consume. We don't know where it comes from, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know where our meat comes from or anything we really consume or do. We're just, it's just a commercial transaction, you know, which isn't how it was for most of human history, right? You would know where the stuff you use was made. You probably know the blacksmith who made your tools mm-hmm. or whatever. And even in the 18th century, as capitalism develops, people were engaged in production. So it makes resistance. Uh, more significant like the people with the bullshit jobs if they go on strike no one gives a fuck that's uh, that's uh, like, how that's we started this program. conversation right with that with that yeah. quote about you know uh authors and editors doing all this work for free uh is wrong and we need to change that yeah. well those are essentially bullshit jobs we're writing writing fiction yeah. for tiny tiny audiences and wanting to not have that be the case. Yeah. And the more of us, and maybe this is just part of late capitalism, the more of us who are distant from actual production, we still have jobs for the mm-hmm. most part, but we don't, they're not crucial, right? Like my job, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, the world would move on without me and most of my colleagues. <laughs> It's, we our jobs basically exist because uh because there's higher institutions that have requirements yeah right yeah and those requirements Obviously. are bullshit uh but uh the way i look at it is i like the byproduct of the teaching which is the learning mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but with these when these when these pirates first they screw the system fundamentally because they're they're the lifeblood. They're the, they're the veins, right? Mm-hmm. Arteries. They're carrying the goods. So by mutinying, they're they're hitting them then, and then they go and prey on the the shipping, prey on the slave trade. They're a threat, and that's why the state has to come down so hard on them. But in some other era, we could say it's the railroad workers, right? Mm. Like the, like the Great Railroad Strike. It's mm-hmm. like, that was genius because you are shutting down the country essentially. But now the bulk of workers aren't in – like Starbucks workers are all unionizing. Great, great news that that's happening. But – You can yeah, live without Starbucks, my friend. You don't need Starbucks. Yeah. Uh, the, the system doesn't need that. Uh, no, Maybe I'm, Amazon. Maybe Amazon is more – Amazon uh, is – Amazon uh, warehouse. That's much more, more interesting. interesting. And, and the resistance and the sort of dismissal of the truckers uh, protesting Canada – and you know the lack of acknowledgement of the yellow vests in in France, like in North America's, like these things to me are like those are really interesting signs, right? Blocking, blocking access and refusing to move trucks, like the the tow truck drivers in solidarity refusing to tow away these giant trucks that you know that can only be towed away by these other giant trucks. Um, that to me was like a. Uh, really amazing thing. And then seeing 
uh, Justin Trudeau doing that, you know, War Measures Act, it's all, War Measure Act in everything but name, um, yeah. seizing people's money, <laughs> seizing people's bank accounts. This is, that was the true threat to power. Greta Thunberg can, you know, how dare you to big audiences, but it doesn't motivate truckers, right? Yeah. Uh, it's gas prices and, um, like all that other stuff is, it's, it's like, it's, uh, something to talk about. <laughs> um, but the, when the actual, you know, when Amazon, even Amazon, like most, I, I can't, I can't understand what most of the people, I've ne- I never order from Amazon. My mom orders from it a lot, but all the things she orders from are things that, you know, it's just more convenient to buy dog food through the mail (laughs) than to go to the store and pick it up. Right. Uh, but when a trucker refuses to deliver goods and you can't and blocks other truckers and other truckers in solidarity, the problem is, is there aren't that many independent truckers. Most of these are corporations, right? And the guys driving those trucks don't own the trucks that they're driving. So they can't, uh, not, not without a general strike of some kind. The the land problem has always been greater. Uh, I, I want to bring this um, to a movie I think a lot about, and it's one of my favorite movies, is the original Mad Max. Have you seen the original? Not the yeah, sequel? Yeah, years ago. So yeah. um, it it it's really interesting because there's two stories. There's one is the story of Max and you know his wife getting run over um, <laughs> and his revenge, right? He's a cop. But the other story is that of t- the Toe Cutter Gang, which is essentially road pirates. They, yeah. in this time of, you know, re- reduced government power or whatever and more expensive gasoline, the uh, incompetent government, it's not really clear how it gets there. There's this gang that is living life uh, of the merry and disrespectful. And it is kind of a, a tragic story from their point of view. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the the legend of the night rider. This is the guy who dies at the beginning of the movie with his his skag, his uh, female road pirate, um, having stolen a police cruiser. He's driving down the highway, and then the co- other cops are catching up to him, and he like sort of falls apart uh, emotionally, and then uh, somehow dies. Um, but then the rest of the crew, the tow cutter gang. Go around, you know, threatening uh, communities in the sense that they're un- unruly and unlawful, but they don't actually go around murdering people in the town. They're just like drunken, uh, lascivious, um, and rude. That that's the other thing about this is like pirate swearing in this book. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 is actually a call for non decorum. <laughs> Right. It's the, uh, yeah. and, and the thing is, is when you go to school, um, lots of things are acceptable. Any kind of conversation is acceptable in the discourse of higher education in the classroom, but not rudeness, right? Not, uh, not some language, some words are not allowed to be said. And that's increasingly the case since I went there. But, uh, when you talk to people who, uh, use tools, uh, and their hands have lots of, um, calluses. They tend to swear a lot. 
right? Yeah. Well, in workplaces, too, it's the same thing. Like, at meetings, you can't just say this is bullshit when it is. Everyone knows it is, but... The word bullshit is taboo. And bullshit is not yeah. like a... Uh, it's it's not very rude. And the repl- the constant replacement yeah. of of things that you're not allowed to say is a way of, like, sort of distancing yourself from the truth of the matter, which is there's a lot of pain in the world and there's a lot of dissatisfied people. And yet you have to wear the nice, neat uniform that needs to stay the right color and you have to wear the name badge. But uh, I, when you go to the grocery store and the kid, there's increasingly few of them, right, <laughs> who work there, um, is uh, having a rough day. They're not allowed to swear and be rude because the customers might be offended, right? <laughs> Even though mm-hmm. they are offended by a lot of the things that are in their jobs. And that sort of, it's a kind of uh, discipline on the crew that you can be disciplined for um, expressing dissatisfaction. It's crazy that uh, we, we allow this and we don't see it as, as kind of like uh, oppression from above, right? You're not allowed to say words that might offend somebody. <laughs> because... You mean collegiality wasn't written in the pirate codes? <laughs> I, I think the collegiality is that you have some alcohol and you make me drink some. Yeah, or if we have a beef, we, we, we fight it out. On the shore. That, the that's, that, that's the other thing that was sort of fake about that, and I didn't realize that the first time. Sure. On, on Black Sails, uh, the captain and his rival fight on the ship. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I can see why. I, I think they should have done it the other way because it would have made it much more formal and more, much more ceremonial and therefore more accurate, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I gotta believe they read this book or they, they got, they must somebody did some fucking homework, really good homework. The very first scene. Yeah. That, that like they made war on the world, which is mm-hmm. directly out of this book. I don't know of any other books about pirates that said that explicitly, you know, let's put that revenge chapter, right? When mm-hmm. we talk about that. And there's so much like that is drawn from this but yeah you know when you make a when you make a show you there's they, some compromise it probably was something like this it was probably well do we we, we have this set do we want to find do we we have to go scout out a site you have to bring all uh, those sailors who are watching it right and for the scene where he's he's uh defending his captaincy right yeah you have to bring them all to the shore to watch that would yeah, be that's... a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially when you just set up this whole scene so that you could do this other thing. Yeah. So it was a, but I think it would have been a, a, uh, the right move because otherwise the show's fairly accurate. One of the things I remember about it was there was not enough sea action. There was too much onshore action. But mm-hmm. the more I think about it, the more I think that that, that's, um, that's what the pirates really want anyways. <laughs> if they don't like yeah. sailing, they like partying, right? And you don't party mm-hmm. um you don't party uh, at sea. You party uh when you get home. Um so yeah, maybe that uh although there's a lot of I remember there being a lot of drama and there's a lot of sex and stuff as well, which, you know, it's 
I like the, I, I remember Spartacus doing it better, uh, in terms of, uh, building expectations and such, but I also mm-hmm. didn't finish Black Sails. It, I think it only ran four seasons. I don't four know. Four seasons. If, Maybe, I think I'm going to try to rewatch yeah. it. Yeah. I, I really don't have much to watch right now. There's not and that much. It, Spartacus is always fun to go back to. Oh, it's so smart. The first, the, the, the first season and the, cause they did that little season. Yeah. Which was a prequel. Blood and Sand the, or whatever. The actor got uh, cancer, right? Right. So they did the prequel. And those two together, they're like they. Later on, it becomes much more about like the Spartacus War, mm-hmm. which is it's got a lot of good stuff in it too. But the the, it's the more class analysis, yeah. the slave master stuff, all the is, psychology is brilliant. Is not in it, but yeah, this this idea that like my identity is tied to my achievements in the arena, right? Like they don't even like they totally internalize their slavery. It, it, I think the most it's kind of like the way. About Kids, you know, yeah. the way kids, they think of their favorite baseball player, and I'm thinking of you when I think of baseball, and they see that number on the back of his his jersey, and they say, and there's his name, and then I want to be that guy, so they buy the jersey. Meanwhile, that guy in that jersey is thinking, next year I should get a better contract with that other team, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And they're, they're all in it as a fraternity of players. They have no particular – It's you'd be kind of naive and stupid to have – like. When I remember what a big deal it was in Canada when Wayne Gretzky left uh, the the Edmonton Oilers and went to play for Los Angeles, the LA Kings. Like the fact that I know, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the Kings. Uh, the fact that I know this tells you how big a deal is it because I have no interest in hockey at all. Right? Now. I enjoyed playing hockey a little bit, uh, but I never watched it. And I never liked the cards, and I didn't like watching it on TV. But the fact that this was like such an emotional. Uh, trauma. And like, he's crying on TV saying, like, really? <laughs> is it, is it Edmonton is just so great? Or is that, that, you know, is that maybe he was a true believer? I don't know, but it, it, it seems like so naive and dumb, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the kind of naive and dumb you have when you're a little kid because you don't know that those guys don't have, uh, extreme team loyalty uh, to the oh. owners. Of the team. Movie about that. Any Given Sunday, I think it's called. Right. I haven't seen that one. That's a football movie. It's got Al Pacino and Jamie Foxx. But that's Mm -hmm. all about – it's all about class. Mm, Interesting. Got the quarterbacks and then everyone else is like not paid as much. And he gets all the fame. And then there's like a weird class analysis. Interesting. It's pretty on point. But like with Spartacus, like – in the original Spartacus movie, the Kirk Douglas one, mm-hmm. I'm Spartacus is a statement of class solidarity. Right. It's, you know, everyone's standing up saying they're Spartacus. We're all in this together. We're going to all die together. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's. And that's loyalty. Awesome. Loyalty. Loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. But in, when you first hear I am Spartacus in the TV series, it's Spartacus embracing his slave identity, actually. Yeah, that's right. weird, right? He's he's on the arena mm-hmm. and he kills the other guy, killing and risking. His I don't life think we ever le- learn his name walk. in the series. His his real name, right? Yeah, that's never given, and that's on purpose, I think, because mm-hmm. uh, we don't know his real name in real life, right? He was known so. as Spartacus. Yeah. Um. I, what's so amazing about that show is is that. Once you like 
dig into the de- like this other guy, Batiatis, and all all of these characters yeah. are real, right? This is all yeah. true. Um, you know, Trixus, some of this, yeah, yeah, and and the and the fact that you know ultimately, you know, all the details about like you know who fought who and where and all that stuff. We don't, I don't think those parts are true. Um, you know, the drama with the wife and stuff. That, we don't have any of that, perhaps. But what we do have that has to be true, and we know it's true, and that's what makes it so good, is the psychology going on behind being a slave and be yeah. being feted as a slave and uh, and respected as a slave, and then ra- bringing that together with the fact that you are a fucking slave, mm-hmm. right? You can you can be a star football player and also under criminally underpaid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there was this baseball lockout recently. And yeah, I heard people, a little bit. A lot about of people that. said, "Well, it's billionaires fighting millionaires," and it's like, yeah, but the millionaires are still being underpaid. I yeah, mean, one, some of them pick up bats and hit them, uh, hit hit balls yeah. with them. The other ones don't. Right. <laughs> so the guys with the with the uh, <laughs> you should always be on the on the team of the guy with the with the tool in his hand, rather than mm-hmm. the guy who you know owns the guy with the tool in the hand. Yeah, I agree. Well, we did pretty good with this. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, I, I'd I'd well, be open we, to reading more of his stuff. Is more available as audiobooks? Well, that uh, many had the Hydra is. All I right. have to get a hold of it. I have to buy it. Yeah, but it's, uh, uh, it'd be worth buying. It's a longer book, and it deals with more issues. But I think it's it's a richer experience. Nice. But we we need to get some other people's point of view on that one. Yeah, I'd I'd like to get Will on. I know he's uh he's interested. Yeah, in Will this would stuff. be good on that. He's um he's hard to get these days. He's it actually that one has rich. more literature connections. It's got Milton. It's got uh, nice. uh, um a lot of. Uh, who's the Blake? Blake and William Blake, uh, Milton. Oh, yeah, William Blake. Tiger, Tiger. There's I know an interpretation him, yeah. of Tiger. Um, that's really. I've never heard that interpretation before. Oh, really tell me, because I, I, I'm. I did a show on Tiger, Tiger, burning bright yeah. in the forest of the night. What immortal hand or eye can f- frame thy fearful symmetry? Oh, well, you read the book and you'll know okay. that, that interpretation. It, it's a. Uh, it's a radical anti-capitalist kind of interpretation of that. Hmm. I thought it was. I thought it was about uh, God and man and us being uh, us being horrible, scary, awesome creatures. But uh, I have to. Yeah. Well, it kind of fits into the Hydra metaphor, right? And and then like the Hydra being the good guy. Oh, interesting. It's the mon. So that's the whole thesis of the of the overall thesis is because people actually at the time talked about the Benin Hydra, but they were talking about sailors and pirates and rebels and Cameroons as the many-headed Hydra and Hercules. And I think uh, Bacon wrote an essay on this saying the state has to be Hercules chopping off these heads huh. and stopping it. And so the many-headed Hydra, the, the authors are on the side of the Hydra. On the side of the monster. Against the gods. Wow. I guess. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I want to read this to you. For about two years, Thunberg challenged her parents to lower their far- <laughs> their family carbon footprint and overall impact on the environment by becoming vegan, upcycling, and giving up flying. 
You can see why she's popular. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's with the, with a I mean, certain I set. I don't have a problem with her. I just don't think she's the. I mean, I, I kind of like Naomi Klein's argument. It's like this. There's no way we're going to get her through this without radically changing the system. <laughs> yeah. and she's radically she's changing her parents' carbon footprint. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's not coming out and saying we need to dismantle capitalism. She's saying we need you to do something. Well, and she'd probably be what, in favor of that as well. But you have to start at home, I think. It's, uh, she's a kid or was a kid. But actually, you know, I looked up because you were talking about uh, Galloway and we sort of said Ed Schultz got um, – because mm. they worked – because they had shows on RT mm-hmm. got called or they interviewed – I don't know what Galloway's relationship was. Maybe he had a show. Yeah. He got called State Media. I thought Tom Hart – didn't Tom Hartman have shows on RT? Uh, so I went to his Twitter. Oh, yeah. He's not, he's not labeled a Russian state actor. I think I think it's because he he is but, he's running a party right now. He's running a political party yeah. that is against the you know labor is completely not a labor party. This has been clear yeah. for a long time. When they took down Jeremy Corbyn, excuse me. Um, when they took down hmm. Jeremy, oh, I should not be excusing my burps. I'm a being a bad pirate. That's okay. I'm proudly no, burping. Like, yeah, that's. I think I think we agree here. Tom Hartman, he's got really good. He says interesting stuff from time to time, and I, I like some of his videos and his talks on different issues, especially like the progressive era. He's got some good ideas about that, but he's not a threat to anything, I think. Uh, like I've never even are, heard of him, so... Um, no. Oh, um, he's, he's, he's like a progressive. He's, he's like... Tom Hartman. He's like a left-wing Democrat. Is two so he doesn't and get Hartman? labeled... There he, he doesn't is. get labeled American radio Russian personality. There we go. Yeah, but he definitely had shows on RT. Uh, dude, it'd be hard. Uh, I, look, I, I, I'm betting that they haven't labeled um, uh, Governor of Wisconsin, uh, Predator guy. <laughs> I ain't got time to bleed. Who, who said that? Wrestler. Oh, he was Minnesota. Minnesota? Okay. Uh, They're all the states are the same. Ventura. Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura. So uh, let's see if Jesse Ventura has been late. Because he had a show. He he had a show on RT America like five minutes ago, right? When it still existed. It isn't a long time ago. Let's see. Jesse Ventura. Is he labeled? Jesse Ventura. There he is. His uh, handle is Governor J. Yeah, he's not labeled mm-hmm. state-affiliated media, Russian state-affiliated media, even though the very last link uh, on here from March 25th before he says, um, oh, his latest tweet is, 20 years ago I lost my job because I opposed the Iraq war and the invasion of Iraq. Today I still stand for peace. This is March 2nd. As I've said previously, I oppose this war, this invasion, and if standing up for peace costs me another job, so be it. I will always speak out against war. And the previous one is a link to his RT interview with uh, a nominated Supreme Court judge or something. Um, yeah. So it's like on the Supreme Court. So yeah, he's not labeled state-affiliated media. Yeah. Because he is not the head of an active political party in the United States. And 
you know, the UK has slightly, there's a lot of pressure to, uh, suppress right now. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. We'll see what happens. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, I think I sent it to you. Wasn't there a new LibriVox book that, oh yeah, it's called The Thing in the Woods? Did I send you that? Yeah, you sent you okay. sent me something about it. Yeah, so that I I knew about this book. I didn't realize the audiobook had just come out recently. I had put up the book a long time ago. So it's by the author of uh, the Velveteen Rabbit, which I don't know. I haven't read. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, this book sounds good. It's a werewolf book. It's American. You gotta sign up for this, yeah. right? Okay. All right. All right. Let's schedule I'll do it. it. Oh, and I'll uh, read Velveteen Rabbit again. I have no, I, I, I don't. I don't think I've read it. That if book I read freaked it. me out as a kid. There's something freaky about that book. Cool. <laughs> There's a thing in the rabbit. <laughs> something about like it, it being a like a like a stuffed animal. I, mm. I had a weird relationship with stuffed animals because I, I had nightmares about some of my stuffed animals like trying to kill me. <laughs> my dad uh, made me one. Uh, my mom always talks about my uh, my dad died when I was pretty young, like uh, mm-hmm. eleven or something like that. Um, uh, but um, he was always like uh, he, he would have made a much better pirate than he was a guy under uh, capitalism mm-hmm. because he you know doesn't make any money and just enjoys parties and stuff like that. But he always had ideas for making money, and one of them is like uh, he's going to make um, stuffed animals. So he his practice one his demo one well I ended up getting it it's a it was a dragon um mm-hmm. but instead of you know using uh dragon scales as the exterior fluffy thing he used uh tiger print which I mm-hmm. guess is much more available than dragon scales at the time as a kind of cloth and um that was the only stuffed animal I ever had but I still have it it's around here somewhere um, yeah, this it, freaked me out. You know what else did was uh, I had another rabbit story. The the Peter Rabbit stuff always really scared me. Oh, I did a show on uh, the first Peter Rabbit um, book. That's um, like a horror story. It, it is a horror story, but what's really also cool about it is um, he uh, it's it's God. <laughs> he goes into this this guy's garden who has got a big white yeah. beard. Um, and he sneaks in there after his mom tells him, take your jacket and don't go into that garden. And he does that. And then God chases him around the garden. And yeah. it's like, wow, that's really interesting. Because you don't see that when you're a little kid, right? But uh, I see it now. <laughs> I don't remember reading the other ones uh, at all. But I do remember Peter Rabbit. Because you, uh, you empathize as a kid with this uh, this child, right? Yeah, and the mom does. He's got a bunch of brothers and sisters too, I think. Uh, but Peter Rabbit is the one who's the focus, and he's he's the bold one, but he's also the stupid one because he doesn't listen. He almost dies. Uh, yeah. So let's see. Um, March. The only open slot is um, five twenty one, but I think Connor has said that's fine for No Man's Land. Which is the reason we yeah. didn't do this uh, that one this week. The next open one is June, first week of All June. Right. You want that one? 
Uh, that'd be. The, do you want a Sunday or Saturday? Do you care? Sunday is probably okay. better. So that'd be Sunday, June fifth. Okay. Six slash oh five slash twenty twenty two, and that is for the thing in the woods. In the woods by what's his name? Uh, no, her name, Margaret something. Uh, uh, Margaret Williams. Margaret Williams. Okay, not Greta Thunberg. Margaret, Margaret, Margaret Williams. Um, it's funny now that I think about it. I, I didn't. I was reading on her Wikipedia entry, and it says she was autistic or something. Um, and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess so. Aspergers, maybe. Yeah. Can may, can you tell by looking at somebody's behavior that they're Aspergers? Or? People always say I'm Aspie. I don't know. Yeah. It's usually people who claim to have Aspergers, and they're like, you seem like you have Aspergers. <laughs> I can see why they say that, but um, I also think about um, uh, Eric sort of being uh, like that too, and I don't think that's exactly what it is. I I think this whole spectrum uh, diagnosis um, mm-hmm. is uh, very suspicious. On the other hand, um, on the other hand, uh, there are definitely people who fit under a certain diagnosis. Yeah. I don't think you're that you're right in the deep end of it. Whatever it is, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm not. <laughs> um, what, I, what I can tell you is a lot of times when I'm reading your direct messages, I'm like, what? <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's the context. It's always missing the context. So usually, um, <laughs> usually when I send you something, um, I have like, uh, here's somebody's tweet. Uh, and then my reaction is, I know other people are starving and unable to move out of their parents' homes, but I'd really like to quit my office job in right full time. Um, <laughs> that, that, that context goes together. But when I get one from you, um, uh, it, so here, this is the one. So I said, watching, uh, oh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> Here's the interaction. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you see Hunter Biden's meth mouth? And he says he used to lick milf pussy. Sad. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that the, that the last part is probably a reference to um, <laughs> to Trump. Always no, aren't, sad. No, aren't the pictures always of yeah? Aren't the pictures of him always like the were the the, the laptop pictures? Are, they're and, they're his and, whole life him with the milfs. Yeah, him with the milfs. He's he's got a lady oh. on a, a buyer. Like on a chain by her hair, sort but, of thing. But but she's not like a like a like she's not like a twenty year old model or something. I I think the face was blurred, so I I didn't yeah. look that close. Anyway, I I haven't really looked at that many pictures. I just think it's hilarious that that the president's son, who's who who's who whose existence was you know a non entity until. <laughs> we find out he's getting paid fifty thousand dollars for a no-show job in a country that the United States is trying to steal from another country. Uh, whatever, whatever. Um, uh, so, anyways, I said, uh, watch first episode of Moon Knight, and then you say, "Does girl sh- girl show up?" Not so far, <laughs> says Jesse. Pity, she's hot. <laughs> I think she is autistic. Can she be hot? <laughs> she has a tail. <laughs> 
that is a thing. Butt plug with squirrel tail. And I'm like, wow. And then he says, watch more documentaries on Pornhub. <laughs> I said, watching latest James Bond movie. By the way, Belmarsh Prison shows up in that latest James Bond movie. Yeah. What a, what a, that movie's, I was glad James Bond is dead at the end. And then I watched the final credits and they said, James Bond will be back. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Anyways, um, uh, yeah, Belmarsh Prison shows up and Belmarsh yeah. is where they're keeping Julian Assange, right? And oh. the previous, previous movie in the, um, in the, I don't know if it's the exact previous one, but uh, one previously had a character who was supposed to be like, he looked like Julian Assange. Like they had to give him white hair and he was a whistleblower, except they didn't call him a whistleblower. And then they tied it into the same goddamn thing they always do, which is, uh, yeah, we, we had a, uh, evil program. The fucking movie has fucking smart blood for no reason. (laughs) Anyways, um, he says, I saw a couple, this is you. I saw a couple last night about how to get the landlords to give you your apartment, give you the apartment or forgive rent. (laughs) I'm like, what? Oh, you're still talking about documentaries on Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's just an old joke I, I, I sometimes use. Yeah, like, it's a funny. It's uh, a funny like docu- like just It took me a while to get. Because <laughs> they are documentaries. Just documentaries. <laughs> they are, in a certain sense. Yeah. Except they're staged, so I guess they're not as documentary as... Uh, anyways. Um, yeah. uh, I made the, the argument... Of one them t- are always like... Oh, I, I, I can't pay my rent. <laughs> I don't think month. they even have and stories then, anymore. I, I, yeah, they still, no, they always have stories. Zizek talked about this, like why pornos can't just jump into the sack. I don't, that's I, what people watch I don't it know for? if that's true. I, I, I remember, like, so I made this argument to Eric one time, um, mm-hmm. about how there's, uh, there's a lot of theories of story. And one of them is that stories are about conflict. And I understand why people say this. You know, there's the, there's the Dark Lord Sith and he wants to control the galaxy. And then there's the oh, senators. We don't need them anymore. Then there's this farm boy who wants to get revenge and, you know, a princess who wants to restore the Republic or whatever. So there's conflict. Uh, but then when you read Clifford Cmax stories, there is technically conflict in the universe in the stories. But the stories are not about resolving conflict. There's like stories about a guy who, you know, runs a way station on Earth and he meets some aliens. And then so like the conflict is us sort of seeing things revealed or like there's a slight misunderstanding for a minute. (laughs) So that's not what stories are at core is conflict. There is a relation. So I said, are all um, all uh, stories conflicts? And I say. Uh, you know, the, I said to Eric, you know, in a, in a pornography, you have like some lady comes, I don't know, some guy comes to the door and says, you order a sausage pizza. <laughs> she says, yes, come on in. I don't have any money. Is that the conflict? No, that's okay. Uh, you can give me another tip or whatever it is. And then they have sex. Yeah. And I say, but, that but is a story. story. It doesn't have any conflict, right? And he says, no. And then he says, no, Jesse, that's a display. <laughs> I'm like, I guess he's kind of right, right? It's, yeah. a, it's not much of a story, right? It is, it is more of a display. But I guess the question, this was the question he said, Ken, is why do you need that at all? Why do you need the, the, why do you need to pretend? Just go right into the fucking. And, and 
and obviously it's long. Like uh, you might have a forty minute scene and the first They used 10 to make minutes. movies that were like like I remember there's a movie called Emmanu- stories, yeah. Emmanuel. Do you know this movie? Yeah. It was like a big hit. It was a French yeah. uh pornography film. And I don't remember the plot exactly, but basically there was there was this lady and she was like uh they had an open relationship and um they live in a French estate and some guy comes over and they have sex. I don't remember the yeah. plot, but it was a full length feature film, right? And the whole thing wasn't f- fucking for two hours or ninety minutes or whatever. It was. Yeah, they, they, it there was a plot. Um, but that's uh, how they used to do it, and now, yeah, it's like maybe it's tags now. It's just like uh, it's a stepsis, <laughs> and that's the whole story. I got the story. You don't need to tell me more. <laughs> I got the whole story. I mean, they keep using the same stories again and again, but th- they do actually like try to write something. I don't think there. I don't. I don't. I'm, they do. I need to study more, Evan. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> I need to watch I'll, more I'll do research later. Thank you. <laughs> documentaries about Harp, about Harper Williams. About the horrors of what did you say her name was? Margaret, Margaret Williams. Williams. Harper Williams. Margaret Williams is somebody else. I think. I think. Yeah. Maybe I'm Anyways, I'm going to go to bed soon. All right. So, good talking with you. Yeah, good book. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. Uh, yesterday I read, um, uh, I read a bunch of things I've read before with students because I got a bunch of new students. Um, uh, one of them, I last, he, he was asking about essays, um, which is, you know, what a lot of parents think they need to study. And of course they do need to study that. And I was like, uh, everybody needs to study essays and they have no idea what the word essay even means. <laughs> yeah. So I talk about the history of essays and I say, you know, the, one of the best essays is, is by Jonathan Swift, a modest proposal. And we read through it. And then, uh, I say, oh yeah. And I'll tell him about Gulliver's travels. So he's reading Gulliver's travels now. Um, but, uh, uh, for class yesterday, we read uh, Strephon and Chloe. Have you read this poem? By no, Jonathan Swift. It's uh, nope. 1734, I think. And it's a wedding toast. And it's rhyming couplets, very long. Um, <laughs> it's super hilarious. Um, he's uh, Jonathan Swift was like a minister, right? So uh, <laughs> it's very funny coming from him. But uh, basically, he he tells the story of Strephon and Chloe. Uh, uh, Chloe's the most gorgeous, sexy creature uh, on the place of the earth, right? She's she's a goddess, really, um, and she's so um, clean. <laughs> um, she never sweats, right? <laughs> Everything about her is absolutely perfect, and Strephon is very worried about uh, their after the marriage ceremony about getting into bed with her because he's this dirty, hairy, disgusting creature, right? Um, and then 
then uh, the narrator, a.k.a. Uh, Swift, breaks in and says, um, Now, let me tell you, uh, parents, never let your daughters guzzle beer. <laughs> Don't let them drink tea, um, especially in the afternoon. They must forbear. And then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, he reaches over, like, to make the tentative, uh, move to, like, let's have sex, baby. Um, and yeah. she pushes him away. And he's like, oh, of course she hates me, right? And then w- the next, uh, there's like a moment where he's, he's going through his mind. It's like, this is the worst thing ever. I knew I was not worthy of her. And then she reaches under the bed and pulls out the bedpan. <laughs> <laughs> She had had 12 cups of tea. Um, so she uh. fills the bedpan. Um, and, uh, and he, he doesn't know what she's doing, but he can hear the sound and he can smell the whiff. Uh. <laughs> it's the most amazing poem. Um, and then, and then uh, <laughs> Jonathan Swift makes a kind of uh, connection. Um, that is very easy to do in poems and hard to do in spoken dialogue, but basically saying, uh, sometimes when you're peeing, you have to poo too. <laughs> and he realizes that's what's going on under the bed. Um, and then she's done and she puts the lid on it and puts it back under the bed. <laughs> and, and then he's like, oh my God, my, you know, my vision of this <laughs> angel, this nymph from heaven is, is gone forever. Um, and she's like reaching over for him. And then he's, he holds up a hand and <laughs> reaches under the bed, under the bed to get his side of, uh, he's got his own bedpan on the other side and he's, has a sympathetic nature. And then, <laughs> um, the rest of their marriage is outlined in um, them having contests to have uh, distorted faces and loud while, while they're pooping. Um, and and so he says, uh, basically, uh, in a very right-wing move, Evan, he says, basically, uh, um, daughters got to keep modest uh, and uh, create the illusion so that they have a happy marriage uh and dudes you got to help them help them keep the illusion up <laughs> and it's oh. it's the most amazing poem and it's because it's from <laughs> in fact it has a um it's because it's rhyming couplets at one point uh there's a blank and it rhymes with piss so you're supposed to uh when he's making the realization you're making the realization the poem it it's it says you know Oh, and the other most common word in there is wind, uh, which is actually wind. Mm-hmm. It's farts. Um, so yeah. it's just the most amazing poem. And it's quite beautiful, actually, because of the ending. It's, it's like marriage is very difficult and, you know, you have to plan it all exactly right so that you have a perfect relationship that will last until one of you dies. Right. <laughs> he sets it up with yeah, I found it. The, the little cupids hovering around, as pictures prove, with Garland's crown, abashed at what they saw and heard, flew off or never more appeared. Yeah. So that's, that's his his passion for going away. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> um. <laughs> Good. I'm gonna save this one. Oh he's he's terrific. He's got he's got um he's he's savage. Because he's, uh, uh, yeah, I think, uh, Alistair Stewart would be offended. <laughs> oh, 
don't know how because no, Stefan and Chloe aren't real people. Maybe. <laughs> uh, how do how do I get on that? Mm. I don't know. It's it's a, talk about around pirates. the right period. Around the right period, seventeen thirty four, approximately the right period. All right. Yeah. Um. Here we go. Oh, wait a second. I'm gonna get the Wikipedia out for uh, this book. If there is one. It's called what is oh. it called? Villains of all nations. Villains of all nations. Redeker. There it is. Uh, no, it's just a Marcus Red. No, there's just Marcus Redeker. Yeah, I think there's some stuff in here. All right, here we go. Avast thee. Oh, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Avast hey, there. How are you? How are you doing? <clears throat> Oh, why is Sunday better? I can't. I can't remember what time it is for you. Why is Sunday better? Yeah, Sunday uh, for me. Is it sa- still Sunday for you? Yeah. Well, is it it's... midnight? Yeah, it's here. I can just stay up late. Okay. And instead of getting, getting up, up early. early. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just okay. this this time it worked out better. All right. Um, so is it just just us this time? Yeah, um, Paul is doing yeah. some um, fan commuting. <laughs> oh yeah, not not as a fan, but to do some uh, I don't yeah, know, I know job stuff. Um, uh, I did send you uh, something a minute ago. I wanted to see. I'll do some What's talking that? about it. Yeah, something to talk about. Um. This Alistair Stewart guy. <laughs> you, well, did you see I, this? I saw a couple of things. He says, if you're a critic of anything, I'd like to, you to, uh, to ask you a favor. Read your stuff aloud before you post it and think about whether any parts of it, uh, any parts make you, f- make you uncomfortable or feel off. The reason for this is I've just read a review of a movie that praises several cast members as doing career best work but cites two, one at the start of her career and one in the third act, as, quote, this may not mean very much in terms of them, unquote, or words to that effect. I'm not going to link to it, and I know the critics work well enough to know that they didn't mean anything malicious or cruel by that, but it can absolutely read that way. We all do it. A lot of us don't mean to, so please, read your stuff aloud. It'll help everyone. <laughs> what was the offensive thing in that? <laughs> I'll read it again. Um, it's in the second part of the yeah. Tweet I read a review of a movie that praises several cast members as doing career best work, but cites two: one at the start of her career and one in the third act. So that's the exact quote. Uh, oh no! This no. does not mean very much in terms of them. Whatever them is, is. The quote. I, I think the them is the the. The old person, the old actor, yeah. or words to that effect. Um, okay. I have no idea what movie this is about or anything, but I was like, I, I, I the first time I thought about it, I was like, was it? He's talking about a movie. I didn't even remember that. Like, I thought, oh, he's talking about a writer, novelist, or yeah. something, right? A movie. So this is like, this is the uh, critic's disease. Mm-hmm. 
like you can't write you, you can't write for your audience you have to write for the people you're talking about you can't write for you yeah. <laughs> you can't write for reality you have to write for you don't want to offend anybody so i i, I thought i thought the worst thing mm-hmm. uh you know it, well, what is the offense is um <laughs> is in, in is in the third act like if if that is the offensive thing, which you're right, it's very hard to find out the offensive thing in this tweet thread. Mm-hmm. Um, it it at least it acknowledges uh some sort of like acting <laughs> in the metaphor, but uh, fucking Shakespeare would be a critic according to Alistair Stewart here, right? Yeah. What a piece of work is man, and blah, 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 blah. And then he goes on to talk about a uh, player plays many roles in his life, blah, 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 blah. Um, if you can't say, like, Christopher Plummer's getting fucking old, or Jean-Luc Picard <laughs> should have retired uh, to his uh, vineyard and stopped uh, doing these um, <laughs> flights of fancy because mm-hmm. it's really fucking things up, um, you got some serious problems. Um, but they're yeah. not, they're not, uh, they're not what we would say, uh, 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 even first world problems. They're like, uh, what's that? Uh, what are the Romans always worried about? Decadence. <laughs> they're worried about, like the decadence level here is so petty. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> well, can you I imagine also, writing a tweet thread like this? I think, yeah, you were talking about this, uh, what was it? The, the critic's disease. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's the critic's job? It's to protect our money, right? Yep. In a way, that's at least partially. I and to, other and to, to talk about culture more broadly, but take things to, down that need to be taken down and raise things up that need to be raised up. Yeah. It's like there's a movie and a family goes to the movie. They're out a hundred bucks, right? Wow. Give yep. or take, right? Mm-hmm. These days, parking, movie price, the yeah, well, the food or everything. Popcorn, yeah. yeah. And that's an important service, saying don't spend your money on this shit. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Read it aloud? I guess it's not bad advice. 100%. General, what, are you I- reading aloud, what are you reading aloud for? You're reading aloud for something that may be rude? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what he's saying. But, but, the, but the offense here is so, like, it isn't like was a shitty actor or yeah. it's actually praise. Mm-hmm. It's that the praise wasn't co- couched the right way. So to me, this is like uh, that stupid um, incident. Uh, I, I have fun with my a couple of my uh, male students talking about uh, cultural memes like the get your wife's get my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. So that one's a funny one, right? Um, <laughs> Because it's it's like totally out of proportion reaction to uh, words that are not even that joke is like not even um, like uh, GI Jane two looking forward to seeing it. Mm-hmm. That's saying, "Hey, I noticed you're bald." That's that's the equivalent of, and it's not like this is a a poor homeless person on the street. This is a lady whose husband is getting an award uh, that day, and they're both wearing black tie tuxedos or whatever the equivalent thereof is dresses and uh and they're you know half a billion dollars in the bank 
It's not like <laughs> this is, this is a, a vicious attack, right? Um, and then the, on the other end, we have the, what's the, what's the little girl who rode across the ocean and then became a, uh, environmental activist? I'm pretty sure she rode across the ocean, didn't she? Uh, I think I heard something about it, but I don't know who you're, uh, who you're talking about. She's really, sounds so much familiar. She's short. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she says, how dare you? <laughs> um, oh, God damn it. What is her name? I think she's like from Sweden or something. Uh, Thunberg. Thunberg? Thunberg. Thunberg. The climate change activist yeah. from Sweden? Thunberg. I think she, I think she, she gave a speech. Uh, like to a bunch of boomers or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Greta, Swedish activist. I think she wrote across, I think that's where she, she Greta Thunberg. I didn't know she, she, she swam across the ocean. No, no. I think she rode. Row? Rode. Oh, maybe. maybe. Rode. No, I'm not seeing it here. Maybe I'm confusing her with, I don't know why she's famous. I thought you said, how dare you? Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but the thing is, is it, it's a speech, right? And so she had it all written out, but she performed it. And, and she's in front of a bunch of, uh, yeah, here it is. At the UN Climate Action Summit in 2019. Here, she sailed across the Atlantic. This, oh, did she? Okay. This mm-hmm. is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. <laughs> I should be yeah. back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? <laughs> you have stolen my dreams, my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are at the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? <laughs> so this is like a, a fun meme to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't, yeah, I think that's why she was there is because everybody, like the old people say, wow, look at this girl. She rode across the ocean. I think it was between, like Africa and South America, mm-hmm. which is cool. So this right? is before, before she went to the club. Yeah, that's before that 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 summit. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, but the the thing is, is if we're talking Mark Fisher terms, right? This is like wholly inco- wholly compatible. <laughs> Having her as just a meme and uh, in the background in your back pocket, you can pull out when you want to uh, make her company uh <laughs> have a speaker mm. that'll dy- dynamically change things and not really anything because we just want to keep things the same um this is a a good thing to have in your back pocket so um <laughs> i don't know how these two things are connected but i think um <laughs> Maybe it's yeah, about I'm trying to see the connection. Maybe it's about making Mary. Um, uh, I I want to talk about this book at some point too. Well, I think like uh, yeah, like I don't know. I I think the yeah rudeness has its point, right? Yeah, I, I think it's fine to to do that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I'm not even that offended by Will Smith, you know, slapping the guy. It's like <sighs> it's a it's a I don't know. I kind of went back and forth because his speech was so um, hypocritical. I, I think that's what. Oh my god! Yeah, that was ridiculous. Was, if he just had come up and say like, 
Come back out here, rock. We're gonna go another round. <laughs> that I could have like, got behind or something, but um, but he kind of yeah. talked a bunch of nonsense about protecting women and family and blah. Well, you know but, what? What's hilarious is that he, if you if you look at the chronology, he's actually laughing at the joke, and yes. then he gets the side eye from his wife, um, and he doesn't like being. Apparently, uh, he's being cucked. And he doesn't like I always it, thought that, like, but he does. I, I thought they had like an open relationship. That's what I used to hear. And then apparently they were on the so, podcast. And I it's think just, it's just him. Yeah. Uh, it's just her. Yeah, it's it's convenient. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's that's not uncommon. Like one partner. Oh sure. Care. One sure. partner doesn't have the same needs to fool around. Sure. And, and the other one does. So I think it's it's not an uncommon way of doing it. So I, I mean, I'm not sure it's he's being cucked. Well, maybe, the, the action that see yeah. the action is dis, like his action is disconnected from the offense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all all yeah. all all he did was say, "Hey, I see you." Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah. so the offense is not uh, like so. I, I guess the, the connection here is. Um, is how how would Alistair Stewart <laughs> react to Will Smith sla- uh, like physically assaulting a, a comedian, right? Who uh, I, I was watching Jimmy Dore and he talks about how comedians physically get assaulted on stage all the time. Um, yeah, I think I saw some of that, and and that's because you know they're talking to drunks and mm. drunks can get offended easily. But the difference there is you know. That happens on a stage uh, that isn't watched by lots of people. Not that I watch the mm-hmm. things or whatever. A lot of people still watched it, and uh, and there is this phenomenon where people do things that they see on TV. You know, I, I don't know if yeah. this, this is the NPC phenomenon or whatever. But there are all, all. I mean, this is what how advertising works, and you know how fashions. Uh, I was explaining the word frayed to a student the other day, and I said, all, all the ki- girls at your school wear frayed jeans. Uh, they're pre-frayed. And then mm-hmm. talking about the history of, like, jeans and <laughs> how they're, you know, they started in the 1980s, they started coming available and stonewashed and acid washed. And, uh, and then they, now they're all jeans basically come with pre holes pre-torn maybe. yeah pre-torn yeah. right how to or you know you go to youtube and you type in jeans and it's how to make cutoffs that look like they're authentically worn out or something like that <laughs> i'm like this is uh class-based um <laughs> adoption fashion pushing and you know uh when you go to the store it's pretty hard to find clothes that aren't <laughs> um sort of subsumed by fashion trends that are uh beyond your control Right, you can make your yeah, own well, clothes. The thing I like, which you can't find now, are like, you know, like really baggy jeans. Like that, those aren't just not popular. It's like everything is tighter, mm. and like you say, kind of already fade, like worn out. Mm-hmm. And it's I want like bell bottoms or something. <laughs> You're gonna have to make really them comfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for your you boots. Them. But that's capitalism for you. Yeah. Right, like in a few years, are you going to be able to get a flip phone? Flip phone, like a lot of like grandpas still use the flip flip phone, but how long is that going to be an option? Uh, Once all those boomers die, you know, just take that off the market, and you'll have to get the yeah, uh, 
yeah, it's it's interesting because there are a lot of people who are still disconnected. I think a lot of working class people are still disconnected and still using uh, flip mm-hmm. phones. It's the it's the, but they're not the kids, right? Mm-hmm. The young kids all have phone, you know, expensive phones. Yeah. One of my students has one of those uh, uh, flip phones that is, uh, you know, it's a Samsung, but it's not like a low end one. It's the high end one, and they're like two thousand dollars. Is that is that a nice? idea you know you have a it's a flip phone but it's a smartphone uh, and it fits in your pocket but it's got a plastic screen so lots mm-hmm. of little things and no headphone jack <laughs> um but uh i just like thinking <laughs> isn't this like like you can't criticize that if you can't make any jokes uh that are attacking uh, or and and that joke is not even an attack Right? It's just mm-hmm. an acknowledgement. Hey, you're bald. Right? If It'd be like if, if a guy was wearing a Scottish kilt <laughs> to the award ceremony. You know, you would be feel so free this, to acknowledge. So this guy should be before Will Smith punching this guy out. Uh, yeah, but I think In he's... he's uh, but, uh, but he's also saying, don't be mean. Right? And Will Smith slapping somebody is obviously mean. Um... Yeah, maybe. So I don't think he could go that direction either. I think can't we all just get along, sort of thing? Yeah, that's what that's his approach. He actually, if you read his, uh, go to his his bio, the friendliest ghost. He's friendly. Friendly. He's a nice oh, guy. Yeah. He looks like a nice guy. He looks um cuddly, very inoffensive. <laughs> uh, Not like me. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Why are you so offensive, Evan? I try not to be. I'm just direct. Yeah, uh, but it, the, you know that's going to offend people, right? Yeah, I know. But you do it anyways. I, I call my coworker a bootlicker for working on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> he got offended. <laughs> I he, wonder why. He can tell me like how to get into the work email during the weekend, and I, I just replied like, "Do you? Do you? Do you?" Uh, working on the weekend. Do you, do you, let me ask you. Do you do you like your boot with sriracha or or ketchup? <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I, just, I just want the email. I just want the password or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I don't um, like. I used to work weekends at my other job in Hangzhou, but they didn't make me like check in, sign in. They didn't make me like. Sign in every day by eight oh five and not leave before four oh five. I had some basic freedom to like leave when I needed to. Come in a few minutes late, it wasn't a big deal. But yeah, if if they're gonna may say you have to be in the, the office for these eight hours, then yeah, don't expect me to work other than the other time. <laughs> That's my philosophy on it. So what you're saying is you're a bad worker. Yeah, I'm a I'm a bad worker. I guess I don't like work. No, but you do a lot of work uh, that is not for pay. Yeah, right? I'm, and I like I try to be somewhat productive. I I think I, one way I was thinking about it that I I can't remember a boss I liked. 
And I've had a lot of jobs. You'd think at least one boss would have been okay. But I, I think I actually hated all of them. I have. And then there's one case. My first job, I was working at a movie theater. And oh. one of the coworkers who I sort of liked, I was fine with, he got a job as assistant manager at the new movie theater that opened. And like a few weeks later, he called me and, and, and recruited me. And I, I instantly hated him. <laughs> the minute you I just have a problem him. with authority. That's the problem. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> I, I have a boss. Um, and what's funny is the business that I, I've worked at since <laughs> I started, basically, um, has changed bosses like three, four times. I can't remember. It's either three or four times. I would say four times. Um, all the employees have changed. The business has changed its name uh, three times, I think, uh, or four times, depending on there was one minor change to the name. Um, I'm the only person who's consistently there. I'm the only thread that makes this business connected to the original business because one, one guy sells it to another guy, another guy hires a partner, one of the partners leaves, another one sells it to another one. It's been pretty stable for a while, but I've liked all my bosses. I've had problems with uh, communication occasionally, um, and you know, if I show up late, uh, that can be a problem. Not that I show up late a lot, um, but it's really a convenient uh, thing for me. I think of, I think that my boss is kind of like my agent. Yeah. Um, I have you know. I, I set the agenda in the classroom. That's what I, I like, right? So sometimes there have been times where, uh, and I've, I've interviewed, I interviewed when looking for a job early on, um, where like the guy says, uh, tell me about how you do your business or whatever. And I explained and then he explained what he wanted. And at the end of the interview, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure, uh, we can't work together <laughs> because he's like, you're going to be a taskmaster and whip students. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to uh, pull them into my orbit and show them how exciting these things are. And, you know, it's not all, uh, you know, I, I, having my boss there is like a, a way. He's the he's the bad guy. I'm the good guy. I He gives them the homework and I show them how to do it, you know. And a lot of it isn't actually that, like... Uh, the homework that we generally give out is actually quite interesting <laughs> from my point of view and, you know, valuable because it's teaching you stuff that you should know. And so the relationship is not, um, uh, an evil one. And, you know, there's a lot of give and take too. Like I'm saying, Oh, I got a podcast that day. And he says, well, um, what times are you available? Right. It isn't like the, it isn't a, um, a guy with a whip. It's more like uh, negotiation, like uh, an agent uh, to an actor. Come on, you need work, don't you? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, and the thing is, is it, that's not the relationship, right? He charges a set amount for my labor. And then I get uh, some of that, but I don't pay for all the, uh, it, it is more like an agent relationship. And so it's, it, it isn't weird, but I've had shitty bosses 100% before. But most of my life, um, my boss is either my mom, uh, because we're running a business, or it's me. And uh, I'm not a great boss because I 
I'm sympathetic <laughs> and I don't want to fire people. Mm-hmm. So this is, it's, it's amazing if you can find a, a job that you, you like working at. Um, yeah. What else, what other business we got? Uh, Twitter business. Twitter, I don't know. What wasn't too any much. Beefs? Any beefs um, happening? Um, I don't think I had any beefs. What about this one? This, uh, this Clark's world, uh, thread. Um, Marissa retweeted it. Um, or she said oh, the thread the or trans something. stuff. I have the trans stuff on trans stuff. The, uh, the dairy posted that about the thing on the doorstep. Oh, that that was not controversial. That, was yeah, no, uh, I don't no. think so. Except that the it's a villain. I think that's where ah. to, to just see it as a, a trans, trans people can be villains too. But that's that's what got uh, sort of isn't that partially what got J.K. Rowling into trouble? She wrote that novel with the. I mean, the I trope. Of I didn't the, read it. The trope of the of the trans, uh, like criminal. Oh, like, Silence of the Lambs kind of. Stuff. What's the uh, Dress to Kill with Michael yeah, Caine? Um, what Psycho. a great role! What a great movie! <laughs> What's her name? That girl who left YouTube. Uh, that that one who did the Hobbit review. I have no idea. She left. She did these really good video essays. Why like, did so she leave? Was, like trolls. Oh, well, they exist. Uh, um, YouTube, so I forgot her name. That's just that's what happens to you. This one is, uh, but she she made a she did a video about like the trope of the the trans criminal. She didn't mention thing on the doorstep though. But she was on the I've never heard, I never heard of this. Um, so this Clark's World one is with all the clamor for higher wages, living wages, and fast food jobs and other jobs, all good. It's extremely frustrating that a case still has to be made for people working in this industry. Worse when you consider how many in the community already support the former. Um, I believe the former refers to people in low wage minimum jobs. Yeah. So, um, I, I think the problem with that is it's, it's just like, uh, oh, I guess I, I, I made a comment when I yeah, just sent it to I you. But I know, I know other people are starving and unable to move out of their parents' homes, but I'd like to quit my office job and write full time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of what it is. It's, I mean, I there's but, like that concept in um, Marxism of socially valuable labor time. Like a lot of people make the criticism of like Mark. Like every I was thinking about this today too. Every criticism of Marxism is like, yeah, just read page thirty. It's there. <laughs> you know, it's like if you actually read Marx, he talks about all this stuff that people criticize mm-hmm. you know, like they'll say human nature it's like yeah like people have been talking about human nature for like 2,000 years so it's like not um <laughs> it's not a you're not you're not uh outsmarting me with your with you know <laughs> oh communism can't work because human nature it's like yeah that's that's a debate we've been having for many many centuries but um where was i on this oh socially valuable labor time so it's not, yeah, some workers will produce more in an hour than others. That takes it for granted, right? But you look at things in the aggregate, right? And you don't look at all work that's done in society is defined as socially valuable, right? Because mm-hmm. my garden, 
if it's just flowers or something, I don't think that'd be considered socially valuable labor time. Especially, especially if you've got a walled garden, a walled garden that you don't share those, those yeah. flowers with now, other maybe people. Maybe your maybe your garden that you growing food that's supplementing your income that could be, but um, you know, hobbies. My my model tanks. It's not socially valuable labor time, right? And Probably a lot of writing know. is that. And I think yeah, but working at McDonald's is. I mean, there's no way around that. It's like. We need those people to work at McDonald's. We need those people to work at Target. Those minimum wage jobs are socially necessary for society to function. So it's we there. There was a a lot a, of this writing and editing or whatever is not necessarily socially valuable, there, uh, and it's we don't have a right to that, I guess. So I wasn't even thinking I, about the particular like the class of job. Uh, of writing it's it's that it's the acknowledgement that there are people who are in a dire straits right yeah and then saying um given that that's in mind i'll just read it again with all the clamor for higher minimum wages living wages and fast food and other jobs all good uh, that is in all it's good that yeah. there's a clamor yeah, good um it, it is extremely frustrating that a case still has to be made for people working in this industry uh, This is in being, I guess, the writing and editing industry. Uh, Worse, when you consider how many in the community already support the former. Um, And the former, I think, refers to the the poor. Well, what are the wages there? I mean, what... I don't know. I think think writing and editing is is below minimum wage by a a huge margin, unless you are a J.K. Rowling or whatever. So is my podcasting. Right, right, right. So um, there's a... uh, There was a clip of um the show called the view um which is uh, whenever you watch like clips of the view it's really really hilarious like Whoopi goldberg yeah. is just so out of touch or whatever um and there was one that really i think <laughs> i think about a lot um joey no, joey uh joy joy behar joy, oh yeah <laughs> and she she uh she's finds out about the news in um ukraine and how this is very bad and putin's bad and um, it's terrible and everything because I was planning a trip to Italy and I don't, I, I've been, I've been unable to go because of the pandemic. You know, I've been planning this trip for years and I was hoping to go to Italy and that's all up in the air now. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this war is really inconvenient for me and I know lots of people are having trouble. Right. <laughs> it yeah, seems I, I, like it's the same thing, right? It's like, yeah, except this one is a little more self-aware, right? But also not self-aware because they are getting paid less than minimum wage, I think. Yeah, but I, I just – how does that work? How are they being paid? If they're, if you work for an editor, if you work for an, a publisher and you're being paid less than minimum wage, that's that's like a crime. It's, well, that, the law. they're all but, like volunteer organizations basically. Yeah, then – yeah, I, if you – Work at the soup kitchen as a volunteer. You're also being paid less than minimum wage. I, I, yeah. Okay. How about I start a I start a, a, a publishing company here. I'm gonna I'm gonna publish. I'm gonna find some translators, publish some anarchist texts into Chinese because there's some, there's not much of that. Right. And that would be kind of interesting. But I guarantee if I did that thing, I'd make less than minimum wage. I'm sure. Uh huh. But it's. Well, I, I was I, just I was thinking like complain here. Amateur uh, journalism, right? All yeah. all those guys who are making zines <laughs> and sending each other stories and and you know asking twenty five cents for 
these things through the mail when the mail was affordable for shipping of these sorts of things, right? The reason they're doing that is because they're enthusiasts, not because they're going to make any money. And yeah, a very few, some of them, like Lovecraft, are just so amazingly talented. And, you know, for every Ray Bradbury and uh, Lovecraft, there's a lot of people who, you know, like Willis Conover, right? Mm-hmm. He gets a, he gets a, a poem in Weird Tales. I don't, I'm not even sure they paid for poems in Weird Tales. Yeah. Right. So I guess I'm thinking of this like in a Marxist point of view too. Like what, what's the exploitation here? Again, if you're working for a publisher and they're basically, it is, uh, yeah, I don't think it's coherent. You, you are being exploited in that case. But this is self-exploiting, right? But yeah, if you're self-exploiting because you enjoy editing books, it's like, I'd like to be a tour editor because tour is still in business, Mm -hmm. right? But there's not that many tour jobs available. But we should all want to be tour editors. We should all like strive to be st- tour editors. But I think this is the same self delusion that you know everybody has, thinking my I'm going to be a novelist, right? Like yeah, novels are yeah, the are yeah. the main way of making money when clearly it's writing Picard episodes because <laughs> they won't fire you for that ever. Apparently, showrunners yes, right? writers no. Did you watch any of it? No, I've just been watching the red letter media. So. <laughs> trying to figure out what, well, like, yeah, why, why is it each episode is self-contained <laughs> when it's supposed to be an overarching thing? And, uh, it's like they're, yeah, it's like some writers said, oh, people complain our, our, ep- we, we lost the episodic nature of, of Star Trek. <laughs> right. But they're still going to have, uh, there's no resolution have, after every episode. Thing, yeah. <laughs> We're just going to move on to another topic. Yeah. Cause I think that it sounds like there's interesting ideas going on here. It's just how did, how did, uh, Rich Evans put it? Like Dr. or Dr. Gallagher. <laughs> I don't just, you know, Doc Gallagher is the stage comic who, uh, smash watermelons all the time and stuff, okay. smash food. And it's, it's like with a big hammer. It's like, <laughs> doc, so the, you say, you know, imagine, you know, going to Dr. Gallagher or something. It's maybe I haven't seen the latest, uh, Analysis. Um, no, that was in the first episode. Oh, okay. Uh, on the their first review, the review of episode one, that it's like everything is. It's like yeah, it, it's kind of a cool idea that like maybe we're at that moment. I mean, we have been for the last fifty years, but, uh, but to think, well, okay, this is the moment where we go either to utopia or to fascism, and you know, there's some kind of quantum leap moment. It's actually a quantum leap episode they're almost doing here. It sounds like, but that there's some good ideas there, and you had the bell riots they could have fed into. Great stuff, but yeah, but it's just it, member it, but, berries. But, but the way, but also the way they seem to present it is like, yeah, climate change exists, and that's bad. Ice is fascist. Like, yeah, everyone fucking knows that. <laughs> everyone knows ice is fascist. <laughs> so there were some criticisms I saw somewhere else saying red letter media is basically right wing, and I what? think they're fairly apolitical. I think they're not. Because they're they're commenting on the quality of, of the art, right? right? Wing. But they're not right wingers, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. But they're calling them right wingers because they're they were criticizing that Picard was dealing with ice this way, and it's like no, they were criticizing that ice is it, it was so heavy handed and pointless in the story. There's a there's a the producer for the Jimmy Dore show did a little. Uh, um, video where she just reacts to things in her house. Uh, like she's, 
uh, she's watching, um, <laughs> football and, uh, the, she disagrees with the ref's call on whether something was a foul or not. I don't know. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyways, she says, that's so right wing. <laughs> and then she opens, a uh, uh, milk that may be expired and sniffs it. Oh, right wing. <laughs> it's like this. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then there's well, like the last one is, and they're all uh, so right wing. Oh, yeah. Honey, do these jeans look me like, uh, make me look right wing? And then the last one is, um, uh, she, uh, she accidentally like gets pinched or something by a household appliance, and she says, "Oh, racist!" <laughs> so then there's this kind of reaction to everything that you know you disagree with is being yeah. right wing, right? And so, uh, red letter media, as far as I can tell, is has no political ideology other than making fun of things, which I guess is a is a kind of political ideology it's the opposite of the alistair stewart one right Mm -hmm. which is uh uh have reverence be careful don't offend people what was what was his bio thing that he said oh friendliest ghost friendliest ghost right yeah they're not Um, bad i i really like casper the friendly ghost but one of the things you notice about the comic is that everybody else in the universe of casper the friendly ghost has problems and is angry. <laughs> and Casper the Friendly Ghost is just like floating along. Um, can't we all be friends? Oh, I'll be friends with you. I'm friendly. But even so, he's a ghost, right? Mm-hmm. That's so there's an inherent, uh, funny there. Somebody just retweeted my uh, February 6th, uh, posting of Against All Flags, a 1952 movie starring Maureen O'Hara, Anthony Quinn, as the elected captains in the Republic of Libertaria, with Errol Flynn as the evil agent of a drug-pushing monopoly uh, who goes undercover to infiltrate their pirate utopia. Have you seen this movie? No. Sounds good. It's, it's a good movie, it, except for the fact that... Uh, oh, and my review is, uh, it's the Fast and the Furious with cutlasses and cutters, uh, but better and with fewer sequels. <laughs> um so basically it uh the problem is errol flynn works for the east india company and he's there to infiltrate the pirates utopia and um take it down which he does um so the bad news is a- anthony quinn's good as a evil pirate marina harris the dumb broad who uh uh falls for the evil uh company man but there is some Pirate, piratical stuff going on in it. It's 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 like a real shame. In the same way that uh, uh, Fast and the Furious is because there's sequels and stuff. It's all co-opted, you know. Like these uh, street street racers who are uh, kind of like you know doing illegal street racing. <laughs> um, oh, and uh, stealing cars or whatever to finance their their merriment. Um are taken down by the FBI. Um, but then the next movies, right, they all, eventually they all become agents of the FBI. I haven't seen mm-hmm. all the, uh, all the Fast and Furious movies, but basically they end up being able to drive, instead of driving cars fast and furiously, uh, down the streets illegally, they get sanctioned to <laughs> do all the things they were doing anyways by having a badge. This mm-hmm. is, uh, this is sort of, why, uh, at the end of every episode of, uh, 
of a movie where we like the villain, they come back. Speaking of which, yeah, uh, this, the movie, um, have you seen the, uh, DC movie called, uh, The Suicide Squad? Not Su- Suicide Squad, but The Suicide Squad? The, the James Gunn one? Yeah, the James the one Gunn one. The Starro. Starro, yeah. Yeah, I, I like that one. It's good, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and it's, you know, it's a lot of character stuff and it's funny and ridiculous, but it, it has the same thing at the end. Um, the, uh, the bad guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, John Cena. <laughs> John oh, C- Peacemaker. Yeah. Peacemaker. So, um, apparently, his they, own show. yeah, he gets his own show. Um, so the bad guy becomes the hero, right? Uh, and, and also at the end, you know, somebody died to try and expose WikiLeaks style the fact that the U.S. was conducting Nazi experiments on human beings for decades, right? And they they make a strike a bargain with the government. Uh, yeah, we won't expose this by uh, if if you don't kill us or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so like, um, even though the movie is uh, not. Um, it's not uh, saying the U.S. government is uh, 100% lovely at all the time, which is impossible to say, right? <laughs> Even the staunchest critics will say, you know, mistakes were made. <laughs> or staunchest um, allies will say mistakes were yeah. made. They won't, you know, get into, you know, war crimes or trials or indictments unless it's, you know, somebody they don't like. But um, in the end, uh, nobody's punished uh, for or exposed or held to account. And even like in the agency, right? Some, some lady hit the main bad lady in the head with a golf club. No charges, mm-hmm. right? So that fantasy, uh, is, is necessary for the film to exist in a certain sense. Uh, otherwise, you know, James Gunn's film career might be over. Um, or they just wouldn't let him have final cut on it. I don't know. But, uh, it was still a good movie. It's still entertaining and funny. Uh, so you can do like, uh, good movies, even in the, uh, very shitty restrictions and horrible, uh, system. You just need like good, talented writers. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the actors. I think some of those actors were even in like, wasn't the, uh, the Harley Quinn character in the original, which I didn't watch. Isn't the same actress? Yeah, she she's been in all those DC movies. Okay, well she's good so, at what she did in this, um, but she couldn't yeah. save the other movies, right? It's mostly just need good writers, I think. I, I like I liked I, I liked how yeah, I there were so many good like, characters and good mates, dialogues, those and surprising structures. Yeah, too many producers, too many chefs, and like I think I do think they gave James Gunn pretty much. A, it sounded like they gave him a free reign to make it they may have tweaked some things but you know it's pretty much his movie mm-hmm. or it was which you know i don't know if he, i don't think he marvel gave him that same freedom but i don't i don't know. still feel different the the james gunn marvel movies feel more fun more i don't know this was pretty good they don't take themselves so so seriously that's yeah. the first dc movie i've seen that i haven't thought was a piece of steaming shit not that i've watched that many of them because mm-hmm. most of them seem to be a piece of steaming shit um 
Even like yeah. the TV shows are pretty awful. What about that? Um, uh, did you pirate the uh, the Moon Knight show? That's seems to be coming out weekly. Why? I have I have a I have a Disney Plus password. So when I decide to watch it, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, we'll wait. Probably wait until it's um it's complete. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I was looking forward to it because I like Moon Knight um, as a character. I like the concept. He's uh, He's schizophrenic or whatever, multiple personality disorder idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. It's okay so far. Um, F. Murray Abraham plays the voice of uh, the god Honshu, or is it Konshu or Honshu? Um, which yeah. is fun. Um, I, 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 his voice is so deep, I thought it might have been Wayne June at first. I'm like, that, Wayne wouldn't have told me that, I think. But no, it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, F. Murray Abraham. It was saying Konshu. Konshu? Konshu, I think. Konshu, yeah. yeah. The moon god? The moon god, yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty good so far. It's, um, I, I, I think, you know, anytime you get a new superhero origin thing, they tend to be pretty good. Uh, the yeah. problem is rebooting it over and over again and redoing it over and over again. Whatever. Um, so you want to do a show Whatever. on a pirate book? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I got, I got stuff to say about it. Good. <laughs>